0: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another Boomio oh, Too Long Didn't Watch podcast. This is number 16, and I'm Chris Pugget, your host. I'm joined by Duncan Thorne Shields, aka the esports historian. And we got a scuba master on the show today, Mr. James Bardolph. How are you doing, James?
1: I'm good. I'm trying to recover uh, sleep. I almost didn't sleep at the major for some reason. So, uh, yeah, getting there slowly, but surely apart from that, I'm great.
0: Now, we're going to be talking about everything the major, but before we get to that, we got to jump in with some of the quick hits um let's start here with the i buy power story duncan a lot of rumors on reddit of who these players are going to be teaming with basically the guys that got that got banned a while ago are now allowed back into competitive counter-strike are they still banned from the major can you break it down for us what does it mean for players like dazed
2: yeah this story is actually a bit weird because the way it's reported i feel like people went too extreme one way or the other basically when this, the team threw a game in a SIVO match in, I think it was like September, August maybe of 2014, months later, basically going into the beginning of 2015, we had an official response from Valve after it had been investigated and exposed by Richard that they definitely threw the game. And the response was... They were banned for match-fixing. The entire team, except Skadoodle, due to some complications where he hadn't accepted the skins, basically. And at the same time, what a lot of people don't always remember is that they also banned, uh, shortly afterwards, a French team who was like the third-best French team at the time, which was the Epsilon lineup, except Scream, because he also wasn't involved in the throwing theory, but in his case, not at all. So what happened was initially valve put out a statement where they said something it was quite vague wording which was along the lines of like you know essentially no one should associate with these people and so even though in theory it was only valve banning them that meant that a lot of other tournaments basically mirrored the bans. So for example, ESL said that means you're also banned from our tournaments because people I think the the fear in the industry was that even though technically you don't have to ban them, maybe Valve then wouldn't consider you to host a major for example. So so even if even though I doubt Valve had said that to these companies, a lot of them just sort of went along with it just because they thought well, you know, why would I do match favors if match fixers a favor anyway? Just ban right. them, ma- do follow the the Valve ban. But an interesting detail a lot of people forget is that sometime last year, Richard actually spoke to Valve because at the time he was petitioning them to, like, you know, would you at least give us a date of when these players could get unbanned by Valve? And even though they essentially said, no, you know, we have no plans to ever review these bans, what they did say was something along the lines of other tournaments could, if they wanted, unban them like they implied that you know it's only our tournaments that have to stay at that status now the the reason this is a key detail is no one did unban them like nobody came out and announced to that they would do it because again i think the logic of a lot of the tournament organizers was well who could like who like if there's one it's like the, the it's like okay what people always say about certain political topics it's like even if everyone agrees something should be changed if, if it's kind of like an image issue, no one's going to be the guy who stands in favor of that particular issue, you know, because right. it's, it's not going to get you elected. So I feel like it's the same thing. A lot of tournament organizers could have unbanned these guys a year ago, but I don't think the climate was right. Whereas if you look, because Valve's probably never going to unban them, there was a lot of hype coming into this major because ESL had said they would consider it at least. A lot of the hype was obviously on the side of unbanning them. Like I think at this point in time, the people who really want them to stay banned are a very, very vocal minority. And so... ESL announced that they've unbanned them, but the, here's the key detail. At the moment, it's only ESL. So that's still pretty good that you've got Pro League, potentially IEM. That's a decent circuit of tournaments. But for example, ECS, James over here, they haven't unbanned them yet. DreamHack hasn't unbanned them. PGL hasn't unbanned I mean, I don't even know if PGL had them banned technically, but you know what I mean? No one right. else technically at the moment has unbanned them. So at the moment, if they choose to compete, they can c- compete in ESL tournaments only.
0: And ESL was kind of the first group to start getting those players involved again. We saw Days coming in, kind of in a guest position, providing some analyst commentary. Then they kind of hired him full-time, correct?
2: Uh, I mean, they hired him for, like, Pro League season, I believe. And okay. then after that, he did, like, I think he did IM Oakland and maybe did EPL Finals. And then he also did actually do ECS, by the way. But aside from that, he hasn't done that many tournaments.
0: James, do you remember all the players that were a part of the Power ban? And of those players, who do you think has the best potential to come back and get back into active duty as a player?
1: I actually forgot entirely about, about AZK, um, but then I remembered that I had some conversation with, with Dazed, and he really uh, highly rated AZK's skill. Um, so I would say that the you know from what we've seen on Reddit so far, it seems that days swag and azk will try and do something together and i know days and Steel don't get on as well as some some other teammates might do so i think that trio because they're essentially you know i'm assuming that's correct they're essentially a unit obviously it's going to benefit them the most because they're only the the least players right because if you look at it from existing teams it's like do you want to compete in a major or not is essentially the question whereas steel is kind of like just Lone Ranger at the moment, as far as I can tell. So it's going to be a lot harder for him to uh, to, to do much from, from what I can see at the moment.
0: To land a spot. it's It's got to be a tough position, and I just want to hear from you guys. Is this a position where you could live off of one tournament provider? Could you make a living be it at a professional Counter-Strike player knowing that you're limited to only ESL events? As of now.
1: I think... Mm, if you if if you have a full team, I think there there are enough organizations in North America to to give a reasonable salary. I would say that there's more opportunity in North America than there are players of uh, a reasonable level, for example. Um, so in that sense, maybe. But I think I think Days, for example, has got a, a good a good streaming game on, so he's got a diversified income. Um, Azk, I'm I'm assuming would have to give up Overwatch and Swag. I don't know what he's been doing in the meantime, so. Uh, you know, I think I think they would get a livable salary for sure, yeah. Duncan, out of that group, do you
0: see any of these players getting on a powerful squad or a team that could compete for serious prize money?
2: Uh, yeah, because I think they'll just make a team themselves. Like, I actually think that's the reason why this is a more interesting story than the fact that they were unbanned. Because okay. if they were on band, but they were all just out there and, you know, they each had to find a team to join, I would say they're basically done. Because you could only join a team, obviously, that has no... Goals to whatsoever to playing in any minors and then going up through the ladder going to qualify going to the major one day and as we've seen even teams like renegades famously have complained many times when the minor has overlapped with like EPL finals for example most people will prioritize the minor and the major circuit over even tournaments that are bigger so as a result I think you'd have to find like a team basically that was not uh, going to big land so it almost wouldn't be worth it you know implicitly for your own time so for me what makes the story interesting is as you've said if those three band together you have already got three players who there was no reason couldn't be top NA players, but but all can't compete in the minor system, and therefore it would benefit each other to play with each other. And so with that core alone, you could already send that to a DreamHack Atlanta-type tournament that we just had, and they'd have a good chance of placing, like, top four. Then you've got to add in, the the juiciest detail to me was that apparently Foxiel, who was one of the Epsilon players who was banned, who was, like, clearly the best player in the team aside from Scream, because he was kind of like a rising talent in 2014, apparently he already had reached out to days and said like you know maybe i can play in this team so if you have four of those players you're already at a stage where you've got four players who are much better than the level of any team who aren't good enough to kind of play in the minor system so I, i think there's already orgs would be interested and then because your level's good, you also actually, if you could get to the EPL finals, which is doable, could be half decent. And then finally, kind of to tie into the thing about the streaming thing, I think the unusual situation for these players is people like Dazed and if you wanted to, Swag, etc. They have ways of generating like brand uh, awareness beyond the level of the kind of play you'd normally be signing if you were signing a lower level team so i feel like there is an obvious niche they could carve out it's just that they kind of almost have to go that route i think they have to play together because otherwise like let's say for example days is a great in game lead let's say he picked up a bunch of unknown players the problem yeah. is if any of them get at all decent you wouldn't really blame them if they just moved on to another team so i feel like it has to be that core of players to make the, even the premise work
0: back then out of the group who was the best player at the time of their banning? Probably Swag. I think he, was, he
2: was a pretty good player. Yeah. Like he he was someone where he was already established online. Had already had like he'd already been top eight in majors with the Cloud Nine Call guys. So I, I think he's a pretty good shout for it.
0: Now I, I saw an interesting comment on Reddit. It wasn't a thread. It was just a comment and a much larger thread. And apologies to the user because I, I didn't write it down. But they had an idea that you could potentially see. This new group of this team that forms out of the formerly banned players breaking into the ESL Pro League spot because the spot belongs to the orgs, not necessarily the players. Is that true to your understanding? Could a team like Ghost Gaming potentially remove their current roster in favor of these bigger names?
2: I mean, James, you run a league that I believe also the spots belong to the organization, correct? As in Dignitas didn't have... I had one player, and then they got the same spot as the old lineup, right?
1: Yeah, if the if the spots uh, belong to the orgs, then they can do that. As far as the ESL goes, I mean, they. I guess so. I'm not 100 percent up on their rules, but you know they. Uh, they 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 will make things work if they think it favors them as well. So.
2: As far as I remember, their their like wording when they actually put out a statement on that because it happened last last season with I think it was like Winter Fox initially where they kicked out the NA team and they signed that like Australian org. At the time, the wording that that ESL said was that. Like, in theory, you can just add a totally new team, but they claimed it had to be, like, around a vaguely similar level. Like, it couldn't be, you know, a totally. it can't just be, like, all your friends or whatever. It has to be an actual pro team. So, I think it'd be more, like, would they, would people qualify the, those players as being good enough? And I think the issue is, since a lot of them still play, like, Rank S S&E, and ESEA at, like, a high level, I think you'd have a hard time arguing that, like, a bottom-of-invite-level team was significantly better than them, even though they haven't played it in quite a while. So I don't think it would be an issue in that sense. Okay, And also, there's so much fan support on your side. I think people would just be hypocrites even if they didn't think that and go, no, it's it's fine. Just let them always play. The,
1: always the community vote as well. So. <laughs>
0: yeah,
2: exactly. You've got to go with that as well. Like.
0: <laughs> Uh, let, let's stay on the same topic of ESL Pro League squads because one other team that we should highlight here is Rogue, and that is the new home of Hiko. Hiko is playing alongside Wrath, Vice, and Shinobi, according to the Liquipedia page. Is this a, a, a squad to look out for? How much do you know
1: about this team, James? Um, well, they've only got four players, you know. I did nominate myself for a fifth, but Hiko said no. Um, is it a squad to look out for? No, until they prove otherwise. Um, obviously, they, they need to, to have an entire roster first. But, um, I mean, when, when any North American team is announced and it's, and it's five people, I think for the most part, you can just assume that, uh, you know, not much is going to get done until they prove that they are going to get something done. Um, so I would go on the side of caution on that one. Um, you know, hopefully he finds something, but I don't have much expectations. It's, it's up to him to prove us that, you know, that they can make something of that team.
0: Could he bring in a duo of Days and AZK or whatever combination of players come out of this unbanned situation?
1: I would be surprised if he couldn't. Um, even if they had just signed contracts, I'd be surprised if he couldn't be like, look, let's add these guys and just kick these guys. I'd be surprised if, that, if, if they couldn't make that happen because it would probably be in their interest. Obviously, Dazed would uh, be a, a strong addition as a leader. And, yeah, I, I think it's, it's, like for Hiko, it's a case of what, where can I go with this team and where can I go with, with those dudes? So, I mean, in, in the short term, that can work. I don't see any, you know, he had trials with Optic that didn't work out. So he had longer-term opportunities, which didn't happen. So So maybe it's viable for him to do that.
0: Because there's other squads as well that don't have full lineups right now. According to the the page, we have Splice, who has just three players, Roca, Semphis, and Drone. You have Ghost Gaming, who's Wardell, Neptune, and Connor93 as well. So I'm wondering, are we going to see these North American players that just got unbanned landing on one of those squads? Another team to talk about here that's making roster moves is Misfits, and Formerly, they had Relics on the bench after bringing in the two French players. Now they have officially released Relics. After watching him over the last 16 months, Duncan, is this a guy that you think is going to land on another one of these teams in the, the empty voids on Ghost, on Splice, on Rogue? Or what do you see happening to a player like Relics?
2: I'm almost certain he will be an invite player. Like, I would assume he'll get onto one of these teams, especially because NA is very famous for recycling all their talent, essentially. Because, I mean, to be fair, it is just like everyone speaks English. So you can go to any team. It's not the same as in Europe where you have the nationality dividing things. But the the problem for someone like Relics is that in the teams he was on where he got to play in tournaments like E-League and go to some of the bigger lands in the past... He had like some games where he was okay, but he didn't. He wasn't really like a breakout star. Like, he wasn't someone who really put himself out there as, like, you've got to get this guy, which is kind of what people already were saying about people in the past, like Twist, like Sick. You could kind of see there was something there. So I feel like his problem is he's kind of in the no man's land of being good enough to get on an invite team, certainly, but I don't think he'll be actively pursued by any of the top teams. I mean, the fact that Misfits themselves didn't use him and instead chose to get in these somewhat unknown French players is not really that great a statement to his character as it is, you know. Understood. Keep on, it the in
1: subject, oh, on the subject of, uh, of ghosts, I just wanted to add that um, Wardell is definitely one to look out for. He is a really nutty author, but he's young, so he doesn't have as much experience and the decision-making may need more experience and guidance. But, like, if I was dazed for example... And i've got um you know two players i would definitely be trying to pick him up because i think it would be a great addition and with the team he's on at the moment i mean they got absolutely fisted in ecs league last season and they had a revolving door of people playing as well so i think that he is definitely someone to get sniped no pun intended
0: and i was doing a quick google search to see how much the ghost gaming house is i know they bought up a giant mansion out in hollywood Uh, This place, multi-multi-million dollar location where they're paying a crazy amount. I know our, our Call of Duty team is over there. They have like a Gears of War player. You might have a team house right away if you do sign up with Ghost Gaming. So definitely a squad to keep your eye on as this moves on. Let's go from the teams in North America that are looking at playing in the ESL Pro League and now talk about some of the squads that were involved in the major North comes out, according to HLTV, it looks like th- they will be benching Magisk in favor of AZ. What are your thoughts on this? Because just 12 months ago, Magisk was one of the biggest names, James. Magisk in favor of AZ. I believe that's what I read. Did I get that totally
1: wrong? Fill me but, in.
2: Wait a minute, wait a minute. What does that mean, though? Because AZ's in the lineup as well. I think, North- it, was, I think it was... Valde, think
1: the Valde. Valde. Or- or another guy. There was there were two oh, names first, mentioned. I believe was the other one. Yeah, I'm not familiar with the with the the latter. I don't know if um, if that's gonna if that's gonna solve the problems on North. To be honest, um, I mean Az is a strong player. He was pretty good on on Faze, So I mean, if they're if they're bringing, I have not idea. To be honest with you, like I don't yeah. I don't know if it's gonna fix their problems. It's just wait and see. if... As far as I can say, maybe Duncan has a, a stronger opinion on that.
0: And Duncan, I did find the article, so excuse okay. me, guys. Uh it looks like Magisk is going to be benched and it's still unseen whether it's gonna be Valda who comes in or whether they'll play with a person <laughs> like Mertz, who is on their Academy roster. Mertz yeah. with a one point two four rating this year.
2: What do you yeah, see well- happening
0: over there for the Danish squad?
2: I think both are certainly possibilities. Like, here's the thing. Funnily enough, I just put out a video tonight, which was literally about when Dignitas had their little peak in the autumn of last year. And part of that was because Megisk was a guy where he was considered just an onliner and like an okay LAN player at best. And he had this incredible run from the summer up until about November, when he legitimately had numbers that were like, we're talking like a top five player in the world. He really was very, very good at the time. And the problem is ever since then, Dignitas and then now North they've been up and down their results you know sometimes they have a good placing but in general they've underwhelmed like they've never really come close to really winning a tournament since then like I didn't ever think they were going to win that EPL final they were in and the part of the problem has been that it's been Magus who's been the player who's suffered the most noticeably like yes AZ's numbers haven't been good and I don't think he's fit his role that well in the team but he's been consistently at that lower level. Whereas the thing is, Magus was, like I said, at a very, very high level performance, looking like the best player in the team. And he's just settled back to becoming a very average player in their team. And Config's been the star player. Cajun's still a pretty good player, but you don't expect him to be the superstar. MSL's just the in-game leader. And so the obvious person who hasn't been living up to kind of the billing has been Magus. And the problem is, because he only did it for about let's say Mm. like four months last year and he's so young in his career he's only really been at the pro level about like a year and a half two years it's not as though you can just say oh it's like a great player from the past you know like a get right maybe they'll pick it up again in three months and become really good so I think for North I would have to assume they've given him his spots they've played around him if he's still not responding in terms of performance At worst, you've got to kind of bench him and try something else, which is maybe where Mertz comes in, because he's already on your academy team. You've already kind of got him signed right now. And if you remember the timing, sooner or later, you have to kind of divest yourself of those academy teams anyway. So maybe get on and do that now while you've still got the contract. I think the Valde move would be a very interesting one because Valde would be a player who I think would fit into to make his spots pretty well. I mean, he already stood in for them at ECS at the end of last year. But more importantly, because they are both kind of fairly passive style of players, you know, and they're both pretty good sprayers. So I feel like it wouldn't be a terrible fit. I, I, I think North has to make a roster move of some kind anyway. They've just had this one lineup for, I mean, a solid seven months or so now, and I don't think it's been that great.
0: You said that uh, Valdez filled in once before. What happened when he filled in? Who was he replacing? And how well did they place?
2: Yeah, he actually replaced Megisk. It was at ECS Season Two Finals. Unfortunately, though, he did just come in like with no scrims. And they had been traveling tons. Like They played some inordinate amount of lands over the months before. And that was the one where they beat SK in the opener. But then they lost to SK, who had Fox as a stand-in, in in the deciding best of three. So they did pretty decently at the tournament. He didn't do that great in terms of numbers. But again, I mean, he essentially was inserted into someone else's system with no practice. So I don't know what you can really expect in that scenario.
0: Yeah, Counter-Strike takes a little bit of practice. Those are the quick hits, the big ones for today. Any of the smaller stories outside of the major that you guys want to hit before we dive into it? Perfect answer. That's what I like to hear. Jumping into it, James, you've been to five majors. How does Krakow rate overall? What did you think of the event in general?
1: Uh, It was one of my favorites. I mean, it had, had some technical issues, but I think the one of the saving graces is that PGL have enough of a of of a proven track record to know that that's not the norm for them to have all those, all those issues, so it's really unfortunate for them. But you know, people say you're only as good as your last performance, right? Whatever that performance may be. And for me, um, the the live event with the crowd would be separate from from all the, the days before. And the live event was amazing. It felt to me like uh, when you watch a World Cup football game or soccer for you, um, and you see the local nation's crowd or the, or you know, whatever team is playing, um they have their their people. The hardcore have come, and it's like a like a festival. We had that in in Poland. There was you you really needed to like egg the crowd on. They were just loving life and being awesome for the most part. Even when uh when versus pro weren't playing in most of the matches, and even when someone won a won a round, if they respected the way the Randalls won, they'd still still give it applause. So awesome. It felt like a, a festival. The, the nearest thing that I've seen to that in the majors I've been to would be in North America. But this was, I mean, that, that stood out on its own as well. But this was something even more than that. It was really like a World Cup feel, which was amazing for an sports event for me.
0: How does it compare to an event like Katowice?
1: Um, I haven't been there. So the only event I've done at CSL is Cologne. To compare it to that, obviously... Cologne is like a, a massive tumour of a crowd, which is really cool and, and they're noisy as well. But honestly, um, Krakow was was bonkers because it was just it was just festival feeling every time there was a match on in the crowd. It was unreal. I haven't seen anything like that in esports, so I couldn't really compare it to anything in, in esports because for, for me it stands out on its own.
0: Sounds pretty amazing. I saw the videos afterwards and 15,000 people in there cheering on the games. It seems pretty insane. Duncan, we touched a little bit about the early rounds on last week's uh, show, but let's recap. For anyone who missed episode 15, who were the big favorites coming in to this major? And what was the biggest storyline in your mind coming up into this million dollar event? Well,
2: the funny thing about this event was it was one of the rare majors where it seemed almost certain that the winner would be sk astralis or phase those it seemed incredibly likely those three i mean i think when i did a video i said something like if you add those three and then put in g4 g2 who were kind of like the, the the big wild card i said there's got to be like a 95 percent chance one of those four teams win and obviously none of those four teams end up winning and in fact two of them went out in the group stage so well the swiss system so i think that's got to be the most overarching story no only did one not win half of them didn't even make the playoffs
0: uh, James, on your end, did you think it was going to be those same three teams that would be in the semifinals and eventually the grand finals?
1: Yeah, I think it's hard to pick a team to make the finals outside of, of those teams. You never know versus pro, but I think it's hard to to pick them, at, at least at this stage. Um, so, you know, I, I thought some teams had the potential for some deep runs, but th- those four were definitely, definitely favorites. So it's a hard argument to, to go against them.
0: So we touched on it last show. James, you were there in person to witness it though. What happened to FaZe Clan? How did they unravel and bomb out three zero in the group stage?
1: Yeah, I was really surprised that they they lost the flip side because you know flip side for me and majors, they're, they're always there, but I feel like they're a gatekeeper team. It's like they're not gonna do great. They might not even do good, but they're gonna sometimes you'll be that team where they'll stop you. Um, doing something and and they beat phase 16 10 on Mirage, which was uh which was really really surprising to me Waylander went bananas on that so no, that's that's not a that's not a good uh that's not a good match for phase they shouldn't be losing to to flipside I don't think I think I think there's uh quite the canyon between the level of the two of two teams on any given day so so that's mm. so that's not good for them um they went close with with mouse as well but I mean maybe I, I don't know where mouse sports lie in a grand scheme of things just yet so obviously it's still an upset for for a phase to lose to them but it's hard to say how how close it is to mouse sports i mean they didn't do as well as they could have um they lost a lot of close uh rounds in a row so who knows how far they would have gone um so i don't know how much we could measure against the loss to mouse sports from that but um Losing losing to Big as well, I mean, they got blown up by Big on Inferno. But, um, I mean, Big seemed to be very strong on Inferno throughout the tournament. So I think that's, uh, you know, that might be a nasty surprise and a lot of teams find it hard to to adapt and stop Big on Inferno. Um, I mean, lo- losing all your matches is going to be a problem, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know what else to say. I mean, best. I think if it was best of three, then, you know, you could argue that more of the top teams... I mean, in longer sets, the uh, the team or player with the more skills should should prevail, right? So best of one is can be tricky, especially when you're up against a team you don't play every day, like Big, where you have mm-hmm. you have a very short space of time to adapt to what they're doing. And if you if they break your buy round and your economy's screwed, then you know it's going to be very difficult to to get around that in a best of one. Um, mm-hmm. So things can turn into an avalanche pretty an avalanche pretty quickly. So maybe. Um, If it was best of three, then they would have a much better chance of a better performance and have a better read on their opponent. But, um, you know, you beat who's in front of you and they didn't manage to, to do that at all.
0: Yeah, Duncan was a little bit surprised by the caliber of teams that eventually knocked out FaZe. But if you're a FaZe fan at home, how worried do you need to be about your squad? You just finished top four at ESL Cologne, but then you come in and you fail to make it to the playoffs of the Major.
1: I wouldn't be worried if, if I was uh, a FaZe fan, I, you know, sometimes you're, you're going to shit the bed for lack of a better phrase, um, and most of their recent results are far better than this. So you need to see what happens in like the next two or three months, see if this is an a, an inexplicable anomaly, or if this is uh, a, a trait of something greater, which might be a problem, you know, time will tell.
0: Next question for you, Duncan. Let's talk about where we left off on the last show. It was G2 beating Cloud9 in an overtime game. Now they're coming in. It's match number four in round four, of course. And G2, let's see here. They uh, they ended up going up against Astralis here. Now, talking about how all of the teams matched up, was this a series where Astralis was definitely the favorite before the game ever began, or did you think G2 matched up pretty well?
2: Uh, I thought they actually matched up decently well, because if you look at the maps that G2 is strong on, they're strong on a bunch that aren't really Astralis maps, like Nuke and Cash, which Astralis will play because they banned Cobblestone. But I actually thought that it meant that they would end up somewhere reasonable. So they did end up on Inferno, which is pretty much a shared map between the two. Like, neither team's godlike on it, but they're both pretty good on it, and they don't mind playing it. So to me, this just kind of shows the how much G2 misfired at this tournament because in a bunch of the games they had, which admittedly, yeah, they had a tough run of opponents, but there were a bunch of games here where if they'd played anywhere close to their peak form, they would have been really in with a shout to make it. And this was an example of a game where they just got blown out completely. Like, they were never in this match. And I think in general, the line that you put through Mm -hmm. G2's performance at this tournament was kind of underwhelming.
0: And, And James, right after the loss to Astralis, which some people could say was semi-expected, G2 has to match up against Fnatic. When you saw that matchup on paper, what were your thoughts coming in? Who did you think had the edge in the round five to decide who moves on to the playoffs?
1: I would favor G2 in that matchup. Um, Fnatic, obviously, they haven't reached the Fnatic revolt, and who knows if if they'll ever get back there. But I would feel that uh, G2 are... Which is something I mentioned in some of the Fnatic matches against their opponents, is that... I feel like G2 are slightly more of a, of a team than Fnatic. The Fnatic always, always have that individual flair where they can just win, win rounds and matches on their own. So for me, G2 would be a, a slight favorite going into that. But you never know with, with Fnatic, especially when it's uh, you know eliminated in, el- elimination time. Um, they've got the experience for it. Both teams have, in fairness. But yeah, I, w- I would have favored G2. But There we go. And Duncan, did you get a chance to watch that G2 Fnatic? What went
0: wrong for G2 or what went well for Fnatic for Fnatic to lock up a top eight spot?
2: Yeah, this was actually one of the best maps of the tournament. I thought it was a very, very back and forwards game. And basically what happened was... G2 had a very poor CT side which when they were back at EPL on this map particularly they were having really strong CT sides actually and they looked very good so that alone was a terrible sign and they did the patented G2 force buys all the way through so I remember in the first half the score wasn't completely out of control and then there's a point at which they just force bought pretty much every round and part of the issue is sometimes the couple of rounds they did win were from the CZs. so I can see to some degree in their brains as to why they thought force buying more and more would made sense the reason it didn't is because at the end of the half where you managed to only win four rounds they really did only get about half of the gun rounds in that you could have had if you'd have actually saved at some point so okay. they were already backs against the wall but I'm sure they still thought to themselves, right? We're a T-side team. We have all these really strong players. It should be possible. But what Fnatic did really, really well in the second half of this game, this is a quality that Fnatic has if they're in a tournament like a major that a lot of teams at their level don't have, which is because their players are so experienced and they have such good individual players, they just played exactly what you want to do if you're Fnatic. And they did loads and loads of like weird pushes and like getting a like, for example, a classic move I saw, which I've been trying to use myself every time I play now, is if on overpass. JW pushed up through the connector to underneath the ladder that the terrorists come down, but he would just hold that position. And one time, he heard someone run by, shocks run by, I think I may even have been the pistol round, so he had information advantage on G2. Yep. Another round, he just stayed there so he could c- go creep out later and kill Kenny S in the back. Kenny S is thinking, well, there's no one can be there, you know, they've had to come from behind me to spawn. And so that's just like a, a perfect example to me of what Fnatic is always able to do at majors, even if they're not the best team, which is like they will have the ballsy play where it's the other way around. Normally, if you're the team at a major who's in the lead, you're going to be like, oh, let's just play it very safe. You know, let's not take any risks here. You know, everyone's a bit nervous on both teams. So let's just play out the game standard style. But if you're Fnatic and you've had so much success, you can be the guy who puts more pressure on the opponent by taking the risky move or doing the one thing he's not expecting. And that will make them turtle up even more. So I think G2 was underwhelming in the game, but Fnatic really kind of like they did their part of, like, applying the pressure all the time to make G2 break.
0: Was there a star player from Fnatic in this tournament for you, James?
1: Um, Well, I mean, so to add to what Duncan said, like, there were some rounds where every everybody pushed at the same time on, the, on, the, on like, on the CT side for Fnatic. So it's, I don't know, it's hard to say, but, like, what, one, one thing that's weird is, when you commentate so many matches, sometimes it's hard to remember even what you saw five minutes ago. Oh, I know um, that. So, so it's it's hard for me to pick one from Fnatic, but I think I think the nature of the of the team and and the flavour they can bring in all being able to to do something crazy, like Duncan said, like I you know I, I think they they work as a unit and they might they might uh, argue with, each, with with each other sometimes, which is which is partly why they broke up in the first place. But it's kind of that weird formula that kind of comes together might be a bit turbulent on the inside, but um, so in short, I, th- I think, I mean, there isn't one for me, partly because I have a terrible memory, but also because I think that they're all capable of, of doing something like that and they all, they'll all have their moments. So it's hard for me to pick one person.
0: Understood. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about the G2 play style. And Duncan, on previous shows, we talked with Kerrigan about the double op strategy, the maps overpass. Is that even an option for you? Because it sounds like they didn't have money to begin with. But is it because they weren't getting the equipment that they are used to playing with?
2: Uh, I mean, this is a map I think you definitely can double all. It just depends which players you have in your team. And luckily for them, they do play one in each of the sites. So I think it's absolutely a viable move. The bigger issue for me on this one was just that like they were already, but it's an example of, this is exactly the thinking that all these French teams have had that do the force buys and that force buy to oblivion is what they'll always say is, yeah, but the reason why I kept force buying is because I was on the round that could have broken the opponent's economy. And it's like the part of the sentence they never then say is like, but if I lost the round, my economy is entirely destroyed and I can't ever come back from it. So what what I'd love to do is instead of arguing with these guys like I've done for like three years, I'd love to just (laughs) sit them down with like Glaive and, you know, uh, Fallen and just say, why don't you just force by every single round and then listen to what he's saying. Do you hear the words? <laughs> that's all at this point. That's all I can do. You know, stage an intervention. I can't keep telling them 700 tournaments. Like, cause here's the thing. I understand the concept of why it is good to force by at times. Like for example, if there is a one key round, we totally will break the opponent's economy. And for example, let's say it's on a map where you can p- get some pushed up position or something. The problem is they just do it every time. And they've, they've just resigned themselves to the idea that if it never works, then we will just lose the game. Which I don't think is really like a very good meta game approach to playing CS.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk about, about a few of the other matches that were going on in round four. The the next one I want to highlight here is North versus Virtus Pro. Both of these teams were coming in with a two and one record here, and I wanted to get your thoughts, James. How strong was Virtus Pro after seeing them struggle in Cologne? Were you surprised by what they were bringing to the table in Krakow?
1: I'm, I'm never surprised by Versus Pro because of how, how up and down they were. Like, if you look at the uh, season before last of ECS, they, they ended up in relegation. But then if you look at um, the qualifying match they had versus Space Soldiers, the best of three, it's like one of the most insane matches I've seen in, in a very long time. It was absolutely insane performance from both people. So you just never know which Versus Pro is going to gonna turn up. And that's that's on a day-by-day basis. So, so like, you know, you, you go to the... Uh, To the semis, and they got absolutely dominated. Like I feel like if you if they play the same, you know, like if if you ran that scenario three times, maybe they win twice. So it's really it's really hard. It's really hard with versus Pro. I don't I don't know if any if there's any uh, known science behind what makes them play outstanding one day and then have a horrible performance the next day. Um, It's a mystery. I mean, it's something that's caused them to to pretty much have everybody. in-game leader so so i could never be surprised by performance from versus pro you have to like for me as a commentator you have to go in with with no expectations and obviously you can refer to the recent, you know you have narrative right but beyond that you just never know what they're going to turn up with you know what you know what they're capable of but you never know when it's going to when it's going to come out absolutely
0: that makes being a vp fan one of the exciting parts but i'm sure also an agonizing part duncan on the flip side of this we saw north coming in They lost their very first game of the tournament. That was against Cloud9. They rattle off two wins. Now they're set up against VP. Were they the clear favorites for you entering that match? Uh,
2: I think I'm trying to remember, but I think I picked VP to win that one. I believe. It's hard to remember. I, I know it was a very close one, though, because both teams haven't been in great form recently admittedly they both have decent map pools so you know they're going to end up with something shared so i mean it, it's expected to me that it would be a close game and obviously late in the tournament you know people can be eliminated at this not literally from losing that game but at that point in the tournament you have to worry
0: and the last match in round five that a lot of people were on my timeline were talking about was virtus pro of course they lose to north there it was in round 30. they have to play cloud nine for a spot in the playoff bracket who was the favorite coming in? Because Cloud9, they just finished second place at ESL Cologne. But Duncan, you were saying they didn't necessarily impress you that much in terms of who they had to play. They weren't truly challenged. Did you think this was Cloud9's match to win? I certainly thought they had a chance. Like, I feel like, the, uh, I do feel like they're the better
2: team out of the two at the moment. The problem in this particular one is. There's a really, really long precedent of Virtus Pro, particularly, doing very well against NA teams. I don't know yeah. if it's something like stylistic matchup or something. I also feel like part of it is that most of the NA teams have like younger players and players that aren't as experienced at the top level. And so I feel like there is kind of that aura around the Virtus Pro players when the NA players play them that like, oh, they always beat us somehow, and these guys are legends, and, and that sort of a mentality. So I think it puts the other team just on the on the on, like on. Like at a lesser footing coming into the match, so I think that that evened up the odds a lot. And then obviously, versus Pro was just a much better team in the game.
0: Big beat and, Cloud9, and then we saw G2 beat Cloud9. James, go ahead. What were what was the green room's thoughts on this matchup in particular?
1: Um, I was just going to say, with regards to Cloud9 on train, actually, um, I noticed that they that they had done some some work on there. For example, if you, I'm actually going to uh, put out a video of of soon of what Automatic was doing. Like when you have the uh, usual wall of smokes that comes in onto the A site, let's say if you're on an eco but you're trying to get extra money with a, with a bomb plant, um, when those when those three smokes would go down, automatic would be a Nick Connector, and he would put a smoke through their smokes, kind of halfway between um, where the smoke is and Pop Dog, so he's got a gap to work with, and he would go through and, and kill people trying to plant the bomb and, and things like that. So, um, Cloud Nine showed a lot of interesting things, and they had uh, done some study. On the map which was which was really cool to see um but obviously th- they're going to be really disappointed um not going further in a tournament i think that's fair to say um in terms in terms of the green room like people people are scattered around a bit so it's hard to i did not even know where i was uh, during their matches but um sort of Ooh. narrowly lost to g2 on right. cobblestone which is I don't, I don't know if it's if it's worse when it's close or if it's, like, a, a complete spanking when you when you think you should have done better. But, um, I mean, Stu and Automatic had... They had good games in a tournament. Like, Stu had a... It did go to overtime, but he had a 30-bomb, which wasn't enough <laughs> in that, unfortunately. But, I mean, I, I focused mostly on Cloud9 when they were playing Train because I saw some interesting things which piqued my interest there. Um, so it, it seems that they... You know, one one criticism of uh, North American teams is that they don't always put the work in. But it seemed that they definitely put some effort into uh, into the matches. So no, they'll be disappointed with not going to the playoffs.
0: And who's calling the shots currently for Cloud9? Who would be the person that is helping them innovate the new strategies? Uh,
1: well, shot caller in the game, I think, is automatic at the moment. They have Valen standing behind them. Um... I haven't spoken to him too much. So in terms of who, who's doing the work outside of the game, um, I, I'm i not quite sure who that would be, but I think Automatic's calling inside the game. I thought Duncan, they switched
2: back oh. to Stewie 2K, but we'll see. I think that was like two tournaments. ago. I think for ECS, I think they said they switched back to Stewie 2K.
1: Okay.
0: Duncan, was there one player on Cloud9 that shined brighter than the others for you? Was there a star from this squad, even though they fell short in groups to VP?
2: I mean, the stats say it was automatic. Like, he actually had very strong stats at the tournament. Stewie2k didn't have like great stats. But then again, I don't blame him as much because his role... like If you're an entry fragger, you will die a lot in the game. So I would say his role... He did okay. He certainly wasn't a star-level performance. But I don't really blame him that much. Beyond that, though, the rest of the team was was kind of a mess.
0: As we take a look at the teams that did not qualify for the playoffs. Cloud9, side G2, NAVI, malsports Penta, FaZe, and Vega. FaZe coin I think has to be at the top of the list as the biggest shocker. Who would you guys put as number 2? Who are you most surprised not to see finish in the final 8?
1: G2. G2? You agree James? Um, well, surprised, yeah, I'd say G2, but I'd say most unfortunate for me was, was Mouse Sports. I, I, for me, I think they came really close in some of their matches. There was one game on train where they lost, like, there was a, there was a very narrow situation in maybe six rounds in a row, and they lost every single one of them. Like, post plants, clutches, just, it was just a complete, like, a psychological disaster for them. Um, so I think they were really unlucky not to go further. And um, there was some good potential. I think in in the existing roster, I think they could do more than they have. But um, I think there might be some top-down pressure. So because they didn't make the playoffs, I don't know if there'll be uh, if there'll be roster changes. It might be um, on the cards for them. But uh, I think they were really unlucky. I was excited to see to see what they could do, um, and I think they could have done gone further on a different day. But then the same could be said for for many of those teams who will be playing in the qualifier next time. So.
0: If there is a roster change, who do you think is going to be involved?
1: Um, I think it would probably be Dennis. Funnily enough, I, th- I think the the major was one of his better performances, but you're not changing Rob's. You're not changing Oscar. Um, I, I don't think you're changing Chris J either, and Al Lowell and Dennis. I think Dennis is probably going to be the one on, a t- on the chopping block, if anybody. Let's talk a little bit about Navi.
0: ESL Cologne not a terrible tournament for them. Were there any expectations from either of you to see them finish top eight?
2: Oh, I had I had them coming top eight, yeah, I thought so. The thing with Navi is like it's not just that they finished top four at Cologne. But there's just so much talent in the team that I think they're never a team that you can just go ahead and say, right, they're definitely not going to get out the group stage or they can't get out the Swiss system. I mean, they've gotten out of quite a lot this year. They've gotten to the playoffs a surprising number of times. And part of that, I feel like, is because... Because they're not actually one of the best teams, but they have so much talent, the fact that in the Swiss systems and group stages that are best of ones, you're always meeting in the middle of the map pool is good for them, actually. It means they never get exploited onto maps like Nuke that they're not that good on. They can normally play on like a Mirage, Inferno, something that they like to play on and get a chance. So I think you give a team like that five potential chances and they are going to win two or three and therefore be borderline to make the playoffs.
0: If people didn't get enough Counter-Strike, and we want to highlight one game from group stages alone here, fellas. James, I want to start with you. Was there a favorite game for you out of the five rounds, any of the teams involved? Just one that kind of resonates in your mind before you got to the major stadium?
1: I think the uh, Fnatic G2 and overpass were was cool for the same the same reasons uh Duncan mentioned earlier like when JW was getting sound cues essentially and allowing to rotate like that I think from a spectator's point of view it's really nice to be able to engage that kind of thing and and see a team moving in motion and you can see the communication behind their movement so that's pretty cool I think the uh I mean I, I had a personal interest watching mouse sports, so I think I don't recall which train it was. Um and maybe it was against Cloud9. it's probably a good one to watch. Um to see what Automatic was doing around the A bomb site, but also, you know, how, how close mouse sports were. Paul Robb's always left like in a in a one versus four playing, you know, on the B bomb site and so on would suck for him. But um if I had to pick one, I'd say the the G two fanatic one's definitely not a bad one to pick.
0: And why are you such a mouse fanboy?
1: Let's talk about this. Um, well for the longest time we've had to commentate Mouse Sports and it's it's been difficult with their with their older rosters, but now I feel like they have a roster which actually has potential, which is uh which is exciting. Like I'm excited to watch Mouse Sports. I'm ex- I'm curious to see what they want to do. Um Oscar's working well in the team. Obviously Rops Ross is a great extra addition, not only because he came for FPL, that's like a small thing, but the main the main thing is is uh the nature of his journey, no matter where, no matter where it was, and how young he is, mm-hmm. and, and how much game sense he seems to have, which is something that you normally accrue over a period of time. I'm told he, he is a, or was a Call of Duty player. I don't know too much about his history, but um, and how how many pros are excited when they watch him? The ex-pros um, pros. So there's a lot of things which I think are very interesting in the mouse sports team at the moment. So people like to know that and watch them and and see how uh, see how well they'll do. Is this guy going to have a bright future? If you could
0: call it right now, how confident would you be in saying he's going to be top four in a major by
1: the end of 2018, 2019? That partly depends on, on the contracts um, and how long his contract is. team players plays are um, signing longer contracts, maybe from lack of experience, uh, signing longer contracts these days. But that aside, I think he's so young and he, he makes so many smart decisions already um, that his future must be must be very bright he's already playing on an international team which only adds to his uh his resume so you know as long as he doesn't get homesick then then the sky might be the limit for him
0: duncan before we get to your favorite game what are your thoughts on mouse sports are you as high on them as james's
2: uh, i thought they actually I, I think i actually picked them as one of my teams to make the playoffs i think they're a good team uh, and actually i think this tournament was a bit of a crusher for me because yeah, they were very borderline to make it, despite the fact they only won one game because they were in so many close matches this time. And also they had some tough opponents. I think they're a good team, but they're a team where it is obvious, like two qualities. One, they don't have amazing leadership. Like Chris Jay is just the in-game leader because someone has to be. And I don't think he's done a fantastic job of it. I think a lot of it has been kind of getting carried a bit by Oscar. And then secondly, they're such an inexperienced squad and they come from such divergent like backgrounds that if they're not really that cohesive as a team i think they have good players and i think like they have a few maps that they're pretty good on but uh, it's kind of hard to see how they're going to break through to any kind of a next level at the moment that's why a lot of people are looking at and just hoping maybe if he develops individually a bit more that that can be something that changes the results
0: let's talk about your favorite match now thorne from group stages did you have one in particular that was the best it for for you I mean I picked the other one technically,
2: but I'll I'll provide a second one. I'll do all the heavy yep, lifting. Thank you. Right? So thank you, sir. I'll say I'll <laughs> say to watch the big versus SK game because at this point in the tournament halfway into that game everything looked like it was like business as usual like SK is going to 3-0 the swiss system they won the first half heavily on the ct side cold zero was having insane numbers as he had all the matches so far so at the time it's like okay well this is it's sk on t side they're easily going to grind out you know six rounds or whatever it was and actually they absolutely failed to and this is a really big performance from big and so for me this was the best game that big actually played at the tournament because sk is very good right now inferno's a map that they've been getting wins off tons of people on especially some of the best teams in the world like FaZe, like astralis so i feel like this was the one where i know big didn't ultimately do much because in the playoffs they were a little bit underwhelming but this was the probably the best moment for them in the tournament and it was kind of a shocker that the the favorite for the whole thing loses in that fashion
0: Big wins on Inferno. I remember that was kind of the highlight of our last podcast, Duncan. All right. Final thoughts here on group stages. I want to close it out with your thoughts on the format for future groups. We've had so many Swiss systems used in back-to-back major events. James, starting with you, are you tired of the Swiss system? Do you think it's doing us justice in the Counter-Strike world? What would you like to see be the official format
1: moving forward for the next major? Um, the Swiss system is is good for upsets, um, but that's, you know, that's not the priority when you're looking at competitive integrity. So a, a best of three series is always going to be superior. Um, that may require more days to be added to a major, which then um, I think, I don't know if it was Duncan or Lerpes who uh, wrote something recently about, um, I think it was Duncan actually, about uh, Valve and how they organise majors, which is kind of it—it's it just kind of appears, and it's almost like just kind of forces its way into the calendar at some point. So and, and causes lots of problems essentially. Um, so if if there's better preparation from Valve in that respect and uh, more forewarning in general, then they there's no reason why. I mean, because the uh, the group stage is studio anyway doesn't really change too much to add a a day or two and have a a best of three system so it would be it would be superior and it will help the the cream rise to the top rather than have um upsets which maybe each individual one means too much in in the current system so the players have expressed um their dislike only that though they haven't really suggested anything but i I think it could only be better to have like a a best of three system over over swiss groups
0: duncan if we want best of threes but we don't change the budget would you be willing to have less teams involved to have best of threes throughout all the group stages take it from 16 to say 12 or even 10 teams
2: Mm, i don't think so especially because like, there are in the past, when the majors first began, 16 teams was more than enough. In fact, the last couple of spots would always be like iffy European teams that were never going to do anything at the tournament. I think now it's way too, there's way too many good teams in tier two that already, I mean, you saw the major qualifier. Like, Team Liquid didn't get through. There's a bunch of teams that are good that didn't even make the majors. So, I don't think you can reduce the spots. A lot, the key thing is, I don't think that you'll ever be forced to make that choice because I already, like, for example, I mean, I think the best suggestion of all, because remember when you're dealing with Valve and you didn't, first of all, we have no direct communication, so we never know what they're thinking. And then secondly, you usually have to try and come up with a fix that you're going to sell them on the idea that they don't have to change much as it is right now. Like I I could already tell you a bunch of formats that wouldn't require much difficulty, but if you want to change it and make it best of threes, you could literally take the current GSL system we have and just change it so that one of the best of threes is the winner's match, basically.
0: Just switching around when those best of threes happen. I understand that point. Let's move on, Duncan. We've covered the Swiss system tons of times on previous episodes. So if you guys want more of Duncan's thoughts on that, make sure to check them out, youtube.com boomio But moving forward, the playoffs. Playoff bracket comes out. First off, break it down for us, Duncan. How did the teams get seeded and what caused all of the outrage on Twitter?
2: Right, so the, what makes it bizarre with the Swiss system is with the GSL mm. system, obviously every group is won by a team and every group has a second place group. And so it's very easy. You're just going to have a winner of a group play a second place team. So th- that's randomly done in majors. But the key element is you already know what's vaguely possible. In Swiss system, it's very bizarre because two teams go three and zero, but then two teams go three and two. And then I, let me think, how, how does it go? Two teams go three and zero, three teams go three and one, and three teams go three and two. Now, obviously, the two teams that are three and zero, so Big and Gambit, are going to get the three and two teams. But there's going to be one three and two team left over and two teams that went three and one. So essentially, two of the three and one teams have to play each other. So the three and one teams were SK Gaming, Astralis, and I think North maybe. Yep. And so Northern there was DP, a. Right? Of those oh, matchups there was literally only a one in three chance that it's SK players Astralis. But unfortunately, that is indeed what happened. And that is, as a result, how we got this matchup in the quarterfinals.
0: So looking at the quarterfinals, James, you guys finally see the playoff bracket. It's single elimination. And you see Gambit Fnatic, SK Astralis, and then in the bottom half, Big Immortals, North Virtus Pro. Obviously, SK Astralis is the toughest draw possibly here but how did you think the two sides balanced out was one side more difficult than the other
1: oh well uh absolutely i think the side without astralis and sk would be um easier but that said it I was interesting because i thought that any of the four teams in the bottom half big immortals north versus pro i felt like any of them could end up in the finals um and one best of three, like a team, a team like Big. If they if they've got gimmicks they're not ready for, then they then they may even even win the whole thing if they can make it there. So I thought I thought that there was a very good chance we would get a a peculiar result or an unexpected final at the very least. Um, but I would have expected Astralis SK or Fnatic, to a lesser extent, to to make it there. Um, you know, I'm I'm a I'm a fan of Gambit as well. But you'd expect one of, one of those three to be in the final at least, but none of them were. So, so it turned out bizarre. But, but at, at, at this point, when, it was, when the draw was made, I mean, Astralis versus SK is like not the first match anybody wants to see. No. But uh, I, I focused more on the bottom half because I thought that, you know, looking at the bottom half, I, I really thought any of those teams could, could have made it to the final.
0: And Duncan, of the two teams that went 3-0, Gambit and Big, who had the tougher first round? Was it Gambit matching up against Fnatic or Big matching up against Immortals in your mind?
2: I think it's far and away in the Gambit matchup because, first of all, Gambit had literally lost to Fnatic in a best-of-three at DreamHack Summer, so they already came in with kind of like, you know, we lost to these guys as it was. Secondly, it's Fnatic in Majors, and like as I said, one of the key qualities they have is, like, it, you can beat them, certainly, they're not the best team anymore, but They do kind of have like a bit of championship poise, you know, and they will kind of put you in tough situations that only the champion-type teams can do. And then you look at Big's draw. I think Immortals, it was touch and go that they even made it out. Like I have to say, the Immortals getting the draw of Flipside as their fifth match, that is like almost proof positive that you cannot keep having... Tournaments with no reseeding because that is one of the most bullshit draws I've ever seen. Because the other matches was VPC nine and Fnatic G two, so in no universe should Immortals be allowed to play flip side there. So I already thought that Immortals probably shouldn't have been in the playoffs as it was. So I think that was not that. Actually, I think Big should have won that matchup if they were as good as people thought they were.
1: James, were you surprised to see Immortals come out over Big here? Um. Well, I mean, we we've watched Immortals play in our league, right? So. They have had some struggles. Kng is a good addition to their team. He's he might be the best player on the team, but um, they they've they've had some some weird things in the past where they've put themselves in difficult situations. Like you know, double up is obviously strong for them, right? But when you when you double up on the T side, it can take strategy away and just force you to play for picks. And if you don't get those picks and there's thirty seconds left, you're left you you're reduced to a really awkward situation where you're, you're going to just have to try and rush a site essentially, and just get annihilated, and just lose everything you have, and maybe give inventory to to the other team. So, so we've we've witnessed them do that kind of thing, and and yeah, it was they did get a very good draw to make it to this point in the first place. But big, uh, I think for me, big is the team who who were surprising. Like I know the potential of of immortals in their output, which can be absolutely devastating. But big, um, they had they had some good matches, but I think with that team, um, they're less. They've had less top flight counter-strike well well that might be a hard argument because i've seen a lot of immortals play in north america but not necessarily like in, in a global tournament so um that might not count so much but for for me and and what i've seen in in cs big were for, for me it was a 50 50 because you don't know if immortals are going to make fatal mistakes which i've seen them make in the past and big it's still early for them in the sense that i don't know just how much potential they have so for me, Big Immortals was was uh, was a coin toss. Um, but again, you know, it goes back back to me thinking that any of the teams from the bottom four could have made it to to the finals potentially. Maybe less so North because they had a draw with versus Pro. But there we go.
0: Now, Duncan, did you get a chance to watch the full Big and Immortals match?
2: I watched a bit of this one. I wasn't paying like maximum attention to every game, but I saw some of it.
0: And and when you saw them, I mean the first map cobblestone, that one's overtime nineteen seventeen in favor of big. Then we finally see Big dropping Inferno, and it's two Immortals sixteen seven, sets up a train, and that goes to around thirty. When you saw a train being selected and, and knowing that you're the map wizard here, who do you think has the edge if this is another rematch? Who do you say wins tomorrow?
2: See, Train is an example of a map where I give big credit for clearly being a team that have done good scouting and being very prepared. Because when they won it against LDLC in the opening game at the EU minor, actually, it was kind of like a bait pick. Like, they set it up where LDLC is pretty good on that map and no one really knows that like what big do because they hadn't been playing it very much. But they obviously had something prepped for them and it worked and they won that game. Now, obviously, LDLC is not a very good team. The big problem I have is... It's, it's all well and good to have prepared and have an idea of how to play a map, but that doesn't really matter when you play against better teams. So even though Mortals is not like a truly world-class team, they have gotten pretty good on train over the last few months. It's been one of the maps that they certainly are willing to play, which is funny because like a year and a bit more ago, it used to be a map that they used to be terrible on. They used to be very, very like lackluster on the T side of, but they've improved a lot in that respect. So I was actually quite concerned for big going into that third game. In fact, I actually thought this was a series where big could have lost every single map they played in it. Like cobblestone is a fantastic immortals map as they showed in the finals. So, I feel like actually the the map veto was a bit confusing to me from the guys from big. i'm like I'm surprised with the way they went for it overall. I mean, obviously, they trusted that Inferno again was a map that they're prepped on. They won the group stage, but that's the one they got smashed on.
0: bit surprising there. Let's talk about the match below it. North and Pro. This is one that had a lot of people excited. VP takes it 2 zero. and the game sixteen nine on Kabul, sixteen ten on nuke. Was this match close if you were actually watching it? Was it a situation where North just didn't execute uh, certain rounds, James? Or was this VP kind of steamrolling through into the semifinals?
1: Um, for me, this match is, is a haze because obviously the crowd was going absolutely bananas. So it was you, you're kind of half looking at the match and half looking at the complete spectacle of madness that was in the crowd. Awesome. So, so, so <laughs> to be honest, I can't ask you a question because we were we were sitting in there in the suite, and you're just kind of looking around at everybody jumping, just the clapping, just all kinds of madness. Every time versus Pro went around, I go completely bananas. Maybe Duncan has a better idea.
0: Well, than I do. let's let's skip <laughs> that question completely and talk purely about the crowd. What was your favorite part? Was there a, a group of fans or any stories that you
1: have from just the people that were in attendance, James? Um, it was funny when we were commentating the semi-final, it was quite, it was quite challenging because it was, it was, um, we were kind of between versus pro matches. So, so it was very, very, I knew it was going to be a, a difficult game because maybe 20% of the crowd would be invested in it compared to, compared to the other ones. But fine enough, the loudest the crowd was during that match is when, uh, snacks walked out. He just came for a walk. And then everybody started going bananas, and uh, Dan was commentating at the time, so he wasn't sure what was going on because his back was too violent I looked behind, I was like, sure, there's this something must be going on in the arena. And lo and behold, Snacks is walking around, and then everyone's got their energy back. So, uh, so that, that just gives a clue. Honestly, it was when Versus Pro first played, it was because they got, they got smashed in the second game. But in the first one, it was, it was insane. Like I can't really describe how it was. it was. It was amazing.
0: I remember just the VP crowd at MLG Columbus when they did the Columbus Major. You heard the giant Virtus Pro cheer. I can't imagine what it was like over in Poland. Duncan, talking about the match uh, in particular, Cobblestone and Nuke, are these clear wins for Virtus Pro coming in? Is this where North unraveled? What happened in this series?
2: You could make a very strong case that these are the two best maps of Virtus Pro. So you have to start in the veto, and MSL just... I think he's mentally ill at this point in time. Like, I think he's actually just got something wrong in his brain because he just repeatedly allows opponents to take their best maps and then thinks that he's going to win series against them. So, I mean, that sets you off on a bad foot initially. With that said, there are two good maps for North as well. But I feel like if you're North... Virtus Pro right now is very vulnerable. Like, you could have gone with like surprise picks. I mean, you beat them on Mirage in the actual uh, Swiss system anyway. So, I want to go with that as a map pick, for example, but they didn't do that. <laughs> so, that in itself is bad. And then, if you watch the games themselves, the best player for North far and away for the last three months has been Config. And he had an incredibly bad series. His, all his numbers were down. Like, the, the kills were down. The damage, especially, was really down. And so, your best player doesn't turn up at all. You you win six T rounds over both maps combined, and you've picked into your opponent's strengths when they have the entire home crowd behind them. So I feel like they got what they deserved in this game.
0: Let's take it to the top half of the bracket. We we thought Big Immortals was gonna be close. Immortals, they go to the semis. Virtus Pro, good on both of their maps. They get past North. Gambit Fanatic, though. You said this was a tougher match than anything we saw in the bottom half of the bracket. Why was this one a, a fun match to watch, James?
1: Um, I I'm a well, those are almost thirty bombing is, is always going to be a good game because that doesn't b- happen very often. I'm uh, I'm a fan of this team. I think Zeus changed things wildly uh, when he joined compared to compared to before. Um, I'm a I'm a big fan of Adren. I mean, they've, they've they've got a lot going on, but it, but it seems to be coming together really well. I mean, the last few months haven't necessarily been spectacular for them, but um, I, I thought they had a lot of potential to to have a, a deep run. I I didn't expect them to win from the outset. I think you'd be you'd be crazy to when they're in a in a bracket with with SK and Astralis. But I think I said at the time that I think they, the strength they had versus Fnatic, which is something I mentioned earlier, is that. Gambit were more of a like an organised unit, whereas Fnatic at the moment will sometimes have to depend on the individual plays and and the degression and, and the overextension. But when that gets when that gets capitalised on, then that's going to be a problem for them. If 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 the team are strong enough and have the firepower as well, so Dozier hitting twenty nine kills on um, on Inferno is pretty good. And I have to go to. Dozier as well on, on train. Like he, he didn't necessarily, it wasn't like lighting up the scoreboard, but it was a good average of kills across the team. But there were there were loads of rounds where he was on the B-bomb site with a UMP. And uh, he had some, some good timely aggression and flanking as well. Um, so I, I think he had a really difficult job to do and i think he he managed he managed it really well because if you you know if he if he collapses in that position then maybe that's enough for fnatic to win i mean, I mean it was a 16 14 in the end of that one but even even though it's not really like the highlight it's not the uh, the spectacular frags it's the it's the dirty work if you will but i think you know he, he held he held down the bomb site well when he needed to and degression was was very surprising to me and unexpected, like pushing B on your end of a UMP is not something you see every day, but he picked the right times to do it. So, so I think he was important. Obviously, Mo had probably the tournament of his life, but you know sometimes I like to focus on, on the small things. And I think Dozier's defense towards B and, and his teamwork there as well uh, was definitely important for the win on train. And he had a great performance on Inferno, and that's, that's going to go a long way. You need everybody to turn up, um, especially a team like Gambit, to beat a team like Fanatic who who can turn on and 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 crush their opponents so so that was a standout for me um in that particular match and, and just in general like he, he he did the dirty work well in a lot of the matches in this uh, major I feel like
0: Duncan in the past when Gambit raised the trophy I believe it was Dreamhack last time you were saying that Doja had a above average tournament for him were you impressed with his play in this matchup who was kind of the star for Gambit in your eyes
2: In the Fnatic game? Yeah. Uh, Actually, this is the one where I remember Adren actually wasn't that sick overall, this one. Um... I think I think Hobbit and Dossier were pretty good. They were both up there, certainly. The thing is, Dossier didn't have like a standout tournament. He just had like two maps. Like I think there was one in the final, and there was one in this matchup here where he was very good in those one-off maps. When they won DreamHack Austin, though, he'd had the entire tournament was like you know the overall stats were very high. So I agree with James, especially that that's the reason why I think it's it's unreasonable that anyone would have picked them to win this tournament is because. They had like the cliche where almost every player had at least a map where they were like the best player in the server. And you can't use the logic that like an idiot would use to say, well, to win, all your players have to be playing at peak club No, that's, that's objectively not the case. And right. most teams have, you know, this player's the star player, this guy we don't expect as much from. And usually, it's actually the other way around. It's more like if your average is pretty good, you have a good chance to win the tournament. So I feel like it was like a miracle tournament for Gambit. Everything came together. And
0: then they had the established pieces, which you do expect to be there. We'll get into the semifinals and the grand finals, which Gambit, of course, took a little bit later. But let's take it to the biggest matchup in the playoff bracket. We expected it potentially in a grand final. It happens in the quarters. SK versus Astralis. This is two of the top three teams in the world, Duncan. And I I saw you on Twitter. You were pissed it was happening this early. But tell me about the match in particular. What did you see going on between SK and Astralis?
2: Yeah, the problem is, like, I, I do think this could have been one of the best matches of the tournament because when they played at ECS, that was a fantastic game and it was really back and forth. And interestingly enough, <clears throat> in that series, Astralis was the team who could have won all three of the maps, obviously ended up losing one to two. Meanwhile, the way SK won that match and obviously won the tournament was they were incredibly clutch when it were really under pressure and it was late in the game. So coming into this match here, the questions really seem to be around Astralis. Like, has Astralis got something different for them? Are they going to play as well at the major? Because SK, you figured they were the ones who had kind of the consistent level where it's like they're going to be very, very hard to put away. But actually, the reason why I think this matchup, no one really could have expected it to be 2-0 is because... First and foremost, SK actually went with a pick of cash where you would think they would do like they did ECS and pick Mirage, but they didn't. So that in theory, that should have actually been the clear win for SK. Just like Astralis always is a favorite on Overpass, Astralis isn't a very good team on cash. So you would expect, right, SK is at least going to get a map. They don't get a map at all. And then secondly, the way SK played, they actually really were blown out of the server by device and Astralis.
0: What shocked you most in this series, seeing it
1: go 2-0, James? Uh, I think losing 16-6 on overpass, it, that's quite a dominating scoreline. Uh, and, you know, Device, it, it's been known for a number of months that when when he's decided to take up this uh, sniper role, he's essentially absorbed. Like I said in one of the matches, he's like the Shang Tsung of, of Counter-Strike because he's kind of like just absorbing the souls of all the other snipers and taking the best of them and trying to make himself like an, an amalgamation of them. Um, I mean, I've always enjoyed S I've learned a lot watching SK on overpass on their CT side, like how to um, have a sniper, like when you're, when you're playing the, the upper area on overpass and you're, you're a sniper player for the most part, you have a a rifler for support. Like if you're over towards long, you might be the bait as a sniper. If you're over towards the toilets, there's like three or four different common positions you can play. And I learned a lot of those um, watching SK. But so so his device, and uh, he's he's known what to expect from the players, and he far outfrags everybody on the server in that game um, by a long way. Uh, but I expected it to be more more competitive. I know SK. I think they've been frank and said. They feel like they would have done better at the tournament if they didn't have um, distractions outside of the tournament, which is maybe uh, partners coming along and and, and things like that. Um, but I mean, well, they got some they've got some work to do. You know, they they may have to change up their game a bit, or I don't know. But I mean, the surprise for me was losing by such a such a large margin on overpass. Yeah. So I would expect more from them than that. Duncan, because I think. Okay. I think they're one of the one of the sorry. I think they're one of the better teams who know how to adjust to what someone's doing, but it seemed that they really struggled to do that in that match.
0: Duncan, coming into this tournament, you said this may be the next run for SK. That they did it previously. Um, this is SK version two point After this loss to straws, do they drop it all in your world rankings? Do they? Do you look at this team differently now and? don't see them any longer as that juggernaut squad. No,
2: they won five out of their last (laughs) seven tournaments. So unsurprisingly, there's no tournaments there for anyone else to have won to be above them. So they definitely don't drop in the world rankings, especially because the winner of the tournament was not Faser Astralis. So no one else really comes close at the moment. And then personally, this is an example of a tournament where if I'm them, I would just write this one off immediately. Like there's still a team that's so good. Normally, I think this was actually quite uncharacteristic play, just stylistically. Like, there's a couple of details people might not have picked up on, which is I went back and watched all the other series that they'd played against Astralis, and I actually noticed that, surprisingly... Coldzera nearly always underwhelms when he <clears throat> plays against Astralis. Like he has just, what for him, are bad games, but are just kind of average games for everyone else. And it's the same thing happened again here. So I feel like that's a, just a stylistic matchup element. But it's the fact that they didn't play like they had in the past tournaments, that's the problem for me. It's not losing, that's the issue. I think they could have lost a phase in the final of ECS. It's the fact that they lost in a fashion where they didn't play their own game at all. Like, like the, it's bad enough that they lost on overpass. They should have at least been competitive, but... The fact that they lost Cash especially shows me they were really off because they've been amazing on Cash. And Astralis, actually, I don't think they'd even played Cash for three months or something like that. So there was no wow. real excuse to lose in the fashion that they did. So I feel like this just shows like what the worst possible day for SK is like. I still think they're a very good team, though. They're still <clears been a> the <throat> number one team, in my opinion.
0: You said that Zera has a bad matchup against Astralis, which is a bit shocking. Is there an individual that normally gets the best of him, or is it just the way that Astralis plays as a team?
2: No, I think the problem is, if you think about the strength of Cold Zero, he's probably the best player in the world at mid-round making a read on what to do in whatever situation he's in. If they have a numbers advantage and he plays very safe, if he's down a couple of... Like a a couple of teammates, then he knows when to create a 1v1 to to get into a winning Mm. position. The problem is, if you play against Astralis, that is exactly what you will never get against them. Because on the T side, they play that slow punish style where two people are always covering each other's backs. On CT side, they are famously very passive and play defensively in the sights. So I feel like it's more like... The reason why Cold Zero is so successful against most teams is most teams play a bit more of a loose individual style. And so when a player pushes up or takes a, a duel... He can then just win that fight Playing against Astralis. They're not really going to give up kind of easy mistakes like that. So there's not really any kind of simple decisions he can take that he's going to win out on. So I just feel like it, it, there's logical reason as to why look historically when they play the series, why he just doesn't match up stylistically as well.
0: Astralis, they get through. It doesn't go to a game three. They get it done in two. And that sets up Gambit, Astralis and the semifinals. What were the odds coming into this one? First off, James, before we get to the odds, actually, what is the feeling in the venue? Do you have more fans cheering for Gambit at this point in the tournament, or are they cheering on Astralis here?
1: Uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> again, this is between two versus pro matches, so they're so they barely barely cheer- cheering for the most part. Saving their energy. Yep. there's like there's like ten percent people cheering um, in in during this match. Which which is interesting, but I think it grows. And when they, I feel like I, I still have some nightmares of when some of these players were on Hellraisers, and they're always, you know, they have the potential to like make the killing blow and win a match. But then time after time, it just doesn't happen, and they lose the match. So always in the back of my mind, I'm thinking this. Is like I'm just waiting for something to to go wrong. So as it gets closer and closer, you like know they could you kind of you don't believe until the very end and you're like holy crap they could actually do this they're actually going to do it and i feel like the the crowd towards the end they'll once the upset is 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 really possible a real possibility then they start to get more invested so by the the end of it they're way more into it than than at the beginning where they are just waiting for versus pro to come back out again but the the support for gambit grew uh exponentially through the tournament especially after versus pro went out the gambit was essentially adopted as the as the home team after that point but but for this match they 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 warmed up over time and uh by the end of it they were really enjoying it i mean everybody likes an upset
0: duncan talk talk me through this series because i know you had to be tuning in expecting astralis to take this 2-0 they just 2-0 sk now you're playing gambit who's kind of a, a tier below you how did this play out what were the the more surprising moments throughout this series
2: Yeah, so what was bizarre about the matchup is that, okay, so for Gambit, you're loving all these maps right now. Like Overpass classically was one of your best maps. It used to be Cobble and Overpass were the two maps they won all their games on, basically. And then more recently, coming into the major, their best maps were Inferno and Train. So if you look at it from Gambit's point of view, great, we should be able to play all three maps here. But you look from the Astralis side of things... Astralis should have been a pretty clear favorite on Overpass. They're just so phenomenally good on it so few times. I think they've only lost something like two, maybe three times in all of 2017 on that map. Then you look, Inferno, that should at at least be one where they're competing, have a good chance to win. And then if it gets to train, they're still considered a very good train team. A lot of teams ban it against them second rotation. And so you'd, you'd consider they should actually be a small favorite on every map. So for me, the real killer was I think they could have afforded to lose Inferno, but it's losing Overpass was the one that was the killer because they didn't even lose it with like terrible play on their part. Mo literally had the game of his entire life. Like he's never had anything vaguely approaching this in his entire career and hasn't really in the rest of the tournament. He only had like one map against the mortals that was comparable. So I feel like that was what really tilted the series to Gambit's favor. Yes, then they needed like some hero plays on train. But if they lose that overpass game, I'm pretty confident they do just get two zeroed actually. So I think that that's just an example of where, like it, like it's like the scene in the movie where the player that he, he normally doesn't come through has his one day where it all goes amazing. You yeah. know,
1: James. I think and all, also, go ahead. I, I think also in the last game on train, the fact that Zeus. Like, on overpass, Mo had 33 kills. And, like, he had multiple 3Ks, 4Ks in the first half as well and really put them uh, ahead. But the fact that Zeus top-fragged in the last game, especially after the, when he used that round as a timeout, essentially, and he was talking to his team and stuff. Like, a, it was really poetic, like, a kind of lead by example kind of thing. I thought that was quite beautiful for him to, to, to win in that fashion where he is top-fragging to take them into the finals. I thought that was awesome. What
0: did you think about the in-game leader battle, James, between Zeus from Gambit and Glaive from Astralis?
1: Um, I think there was more than one battle for Zeus because he has Hobbit sitting next to him, right? And it's really amazing that he Joe had those replays with the cat, with the uh, player reactions because you could see how much it meant to Hobbit, but you could also see that he was if something went wrong, sometimes he was almost traumatized. But Zeus would. Uh, he, he would keep his focus in the right place so I think the main battle really for, for Zeus was to was to keep his team on the same page make sure they weren't hung up on the, on the loss in the previous round and they would focus on on the round to come you know okay. and, and keep them emotionally in the right place and you could really see that uh, that that Hobbit was really feeling the emotions there um, so I think I think the most important thing for Zeus was to just be a leader and a captain for his team and kind of just keep instilling them in confidence to to play at the level they're capable of, rather than just kind of capitulate and fall to pieces.
0: Duncan, did Gambit impress you more in the semi-finals or the grand finals of this tournament? Um,
2: I think it's probably got to be the semi-finals overall. In as much as like the Straus is a much better team than the Immortals, and really, as much as you can definitely make like kind of asterisks on other elements of the tournament. You know, you didn't have to play SK. The bottom half of the bracket was kind of whack there's no getting around the fact that if you beat Astralis in a full on best of three that's going to take a very very good performance you know the only teams to have done that like the only underdog team to have done it was um, Optic and even then that whole point is they had like one of the best performances of their entire careers so I think that shows a very high level I will say the Inferno game was absolutely terrible by gamut they looked really poor on that one but like I said the overpass one Mo really won it for them and Train that was the one where as a team they outplayed Astralis so I think that was the key for me was that's kind of the one where to me they the major when they won that one
0: and what was the big problem on inferno for gambit what was the the number one issue for you
2: I mean, that's like a perfect example of where you feel like Astralis really didn't look that great on Overpass because they came into Inferno and they looked like they they hadn't lost a map. It was very easy for them. They just absolutely ran all over Gambit. I don't think Gambit is actually that great on the CT side of that map. I think they have a few problems. Meanwhile, you look at the Astralis guys, they were always in control of the game the entire way through. They they won all their engages at that point in time. I, I think that was the map where no one really played that well from Gambit as well, so... I think that was just like, the, bear in mind it was a miracle tournament. They they have to have some missteps at some point in time. They're not going to win every game.
1: If I remember correctly um, on that Inferno, it seemed the, it, at some points the communication was just a complete mess for Gambit. I remember there was one round where they were making a play towards B with whatever was remaining of the team, except for Dozier, who was standing in apartments. apartment. And I could see, like the camera, the observer was over towards B, but I could see on the radar that the, the CT dots were moving fast enough on A that if you're in apartments, you're going to hear them running. But those who just stood there in apartments and just didn't do anything, and his whole team died, and he was still standing in apartments, and it was just such a bizarre scene to me. I just couldn't understand for the life of me why 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 that, that just wasn't... like I thought it was, his computer was broken or something. So hmm. Mo, Mo had seven kills. I, I thought it would be more difficult for him to be effective on a map this <laughs> Inferno because it's not what it used to be. But... Um, it seemed, it seemed, you know, they, they said that in practice uh, that they were a complete disaster and nothing went well for them. And that match seemed to be one of those practice games to me. We'll get more on Inferno
0: here in a little bit as we talk about the grand finals, but let's take it from the top half of the bracket down to the bottom half. Well, actually, first off, I missed the, the very end, the game three between Gambit and Astralis. <coughs> what was the reaction from Astralis after they lost? Were they just completely shocked and shattered?
2: I mean, the problem is they were losing for a lot of the game. Like they were getting back into it at the end. So you get a little bit of like pep at that point in time. But the big problem is they did a couple of misplays themselves, two of them coming from Glave, which, when you're already losing the game and you're already getting up beaten by an underdog, when you make like critical misplays, this is the type that Strauss would never make. One was where Glaive literally killed his own teammate in a 1v2 and they lost the round off it. And then the second one was where Dupree was going to initially try and knife a player that he was behind. And then Glaive just ran near him. And so the guy looked around to look at Glaive and saw the Dupree, I think it was, and killed him. So when you're doing that on top of it, I feel I think in their heart of hearts in that game, they already kind of had that sinking feeling like we're fucking up everything at this point in time and we're going to lose. So I think by the end of the game, they knew it was inevitable they were going to lose. But I think overall it was a shocking series, certainly. Because as soon as you beat SK and you see that bracket if anything you think you've won the major at that point in time
0: and john the robot in the chat says not to mention the 2v4 versus astralis on overpass doja saves on b while
1: hobbit gets a 1v4 hero anyway go ahead james i was just going to add that um you know i was surprised over the tournament that that device did as well as he did in any of the matches because you know he had two close people to him pass away and i could see after, after the games, you know, he was just like, he wasn't, definitely wasn't his normal self. Um, so I, I think it was in the back of his mind, if, if not something else. Um, so he wasn't, he wasn't the happiest chappy, but he was, he was keeping us together pretty well. But, you know, um, I don't know if he necessarily wanted to be there all the time. But, I mean, again, I, th- I think maybe he exceeded expectation given the circumstances. Um, but any, any team, the level of a strike is going to be frustrated and feel crap after a loss, right? It's just, uh, the nature of the beast. Let's take it
0: down to the other semifinals where we have a very surprising matchup, Immortals and Virtus Pro here. Duncan, this is, this is a bit of a shocker coming in, but did you think at this point in the tournament, home crowd VP has the edge or was this clear, uh, in Immortals match?
2: Well, the big problem is you can only have a... This is one of the aspects of the home crowd that people don't seem to appreciate, is that you only have a home crowd if you're winning the game. If you're losing the game and you absolutely suck and the other team's wrecking you, Mm -hmm. that will be a silent crowd. That will be a crowd that doesn't exist. I mean, this famously happened one time when the old... What's now envious was LDLC played against Fnatic at ESWC, so it was in France. But because they were just getting wrecked the whole time crowd had no impact on the game whatsoever so it's more to me that vp couldn't make it competitive and if, if it had been a really close game then i think then vp would have had edges with experience and all the rest of it but because they let the immortals guys front run and they are a hot team i think they just got way way out of control way too early in both maps
0: james why did the wheels fall off the bus for vp here against immortals after they just two would north
1: I I don't know they got absolutely smashed in that game, um, but I have to uh, to add because I was I was in the booth at one point like the, it's really quiet in the booth, so it does I mean the, that glass is 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 pretty solid stuff, um, so it does drown out a lot of the noise a lot of the noise. Although I wasn't in there during a, v, a VP match, so you would have heard stuff. But the thing is, it was funny with all the there were some like emo people on Reddit saying, oh you know immortals are are too rude of the way they just go nuts at the end of each round and say all kinds of stuff um but i i I got linked to like kng playing at some old lands and stuff and it is insane how much shouting and stuff there is going on so i feel like i don't feel like they'd be phased if anything i feel like it would egg them on even more to to want to to beat their opponent the fact that they have the home crowd advantage i think they i think they love that stuff because they're so they have so much fire it's really great to watch just uh, how how ready they are, they are for that kind of thing, um, but definitely in that crowd you only sing when you're winning for the most part. It's not like a you know a Man U game where they'll try and get behind them to egg them on. It was it was fairly quiet in comparison when things weren't going their way. Um, but I mean credit to the booths, most of it you you wouldn't be able to hear. They were pretty good. Overall,
0: we get the finals that we didn't expect to see, Duncan but we still saw decent viewership. What were your thoughts on the major as a whole, knowing that the grand finals is coming down to Gambit versus Immortals? That
2: sucks. I mean, that was the <laughs> final of DreamHack Austin, and then it was the final of the major. So, unfortunately, I just feel like like, I, like you can't blame PGL for that at all. And in, even the format itself, that's one of the most unlikely outcomes. Because let's right. say, for example, it had been Gambit versus Pro. Even if Gambit wins the match then, okay, the history, you know, you're playing a team that's been in major finals, has been very good. I feel like even if the back bracket had just shaken out differently, and let's say for example, that you played Astralis but you played them in the final, it was the same result. Again, you're playing a team that's the reigning major champions, there's all the history, the prestige. The problem is, you look at this playoff bracket, and Immortals versus Gambit wasn't even vaguely the best game in the playoff bracket, and neither team really has like I mean, Gambit has some history with some of their players, but the entire team doesn't have, and Immortals especially, they've never even been in a major. So it was kind of like, the for me, once that final was set, a lot of the energy kind of dissipated away, you know.
0: It was kind of crazy to see that just today, KNG is officially made a member of Immortals. He was a stand-in for this entire tournament, and he was kind of a rock star, at least with all the highlight clips I saw on my feed. Throughout this series, though, in the grand final, James, who was your favorite player to watch, or who impressed you most out of all or all ten that were on the main stage?
1: Um, that's a hard one to answer because you know I've I've seen a bunch of uh, of K and I know what to expect from him, but it's it's another thing to to perform on the big stage, right? Um, who uh, it's hard not to have bias because I'm a I'm an Adren fanboy, but I think it depends on your perspective. Like I, I I think Hobbit, you know, seeing how he was feeling the pressure and was you know almost ejected when when something went wrong, he still performed at a very good level despite that. So so that's one way to look at it. I mean, another way is um, Zeus holding his team together and top fragging to put them. Into the match in the first place, but that's that's going to the prior match. Steel Steele had some really good performances, especially on train. He was an absolute monster on that map in general um, during during the tournament. Um, I don't know if I could pick one particular player, but but to your question to to Duncan previously, I, I I was interested in the final, but I for me Gambit had to win the final. I think Immortals had gone further than they could have expected, and I, and I just I really wanted to see the likes of Zeus and Adren win a major so 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 that moment for me was amazing when the first map happened I was like holy crap it's gonna be a terrible final so I'm glad it it, it wasn't 16-4
0: on Cobblestone why the blowout to kick things off let's dive right into game number one what was going wrong for Gambit you just beat Astralis it's a fresh day and now Cobblestone not going your way you're talking to me sorry i'll take it to james on this james okay. what did you see on cobblestone when they when they first got blown out
1: i didn't see anything on cobblestone if they won four outs, <laughs> so there wasn't much that we did see but um that, that i don't even know what happened in that match in that route, uh, map sorry but i was just like please please don't let this be like a two zero just a just a fisting um I, I have no idea what happened to
0: that. Duncan, did you see anything from the Brazilians that was catching Gambit off guard? Or was it just looking like Gambit was off in that first game? It was
2: both at the same time. Like Immortals is a team, like they're literally not a squad where you can t- say how they play on any one map because they're so hot and cold. Okay. So this has always been their best map. And Henny, traditionally, is the most streaky of all the players on their team. And this was the one map where he went absolutely crazy. So I think you give a team like that a chance to front run, as they did against Virtus. Pro, and yeah, they can beat a bunch of teams. The problem is they're not mm-hmm. going to get that roll up with against most people. Then on the Gambit side of things, the best player and the most stable player on Gambit is Adren, and he had the worst game of the tournament. I think that alone, you can, that, that's a, that's most of the equation that comes up with the result 16 forward by malls.
0: Yeah, not a whole lot to talk about there. Pretty short game. Train, though, at least we got to double digits for both squads. And it's Gambit who now ties this up 1-1. Did you think Gambit was going to go out at this point? Or did you know we were going into a game three when you saw Train locked in, Duncan?
2: I I thought Gambit was going to win the whole way. Like I think they could have, on paper, they could have won Cobblestone as well. I thought it was a great veto for them again. They end up with maps that they really like. I think for me, the only maps I thought that Immortals actually could win on is I th- certainly knew they had a chance on Cobblestone, and then Inferno has been the map where since they've got KNG and they've had this explosive double-op, so that's been a map that's been there for them. So for me, they had to win the first and the third maps, so I thought we were going to three.
0: And you you said that Henny's always been hot or cold with his op. Uh, James, I, I want to hit you with this question, though. Who is the more impressive opber for Immortals throughout the tournament? Was it KNG, or do you still say
1: Henny for this tournament? <laughs> Well, K- Henny's the primary orper for the team, but I think KNG is a more consistent AWPer, and there was a match, I guess it was the final, maybe, where where Henry was calling out um, Immortals for not throwing the AWP to KNG instead of Henny when Henny was having a terrible game. Yeah. But I think I think K- KNG is a considerably stronger rifler mm-hmm. as well, so that has um, more implications, but I think I think K I mean they're both explosive. That's for sure. I think KNG is more consistent, and sometimes Henny can be missing from the server. And I, I was actually uh, I was actually afraid that might be a two zero on train because because the mortals can have strong games on on train with the double ops. Obviously more on the CT side, obviously, but they're not scared to do it on the T side, which I don't think is uh, amazing idea. Personally. Um but, but steel has had really good performances on train as well. So I was really worried that we would just see a two zero blowout because if if the frame of mind is not there for Gambit, then they then you could have another 16-4. Um so as especially go, going by how the first map point I was I was concerned at that point, but back to your pose. I think KNG is more um more consistent, but they're pretty much as as explosive as each other. They're capable of of great things.
0: Duncan, on on train specifically, did you see anything from Zeus that got his team back in it? Was there a player making big plays early on that got Gambit back into this best of three?
2: The thing is, the way that Gambit played Train in this series is like a classic example of where you can see the the kind of DNA of an in-game leader, even with a totally different team, because when he was in Na'Vi and he was the in-game leader, they were one of the first on this rework of Train that we play now to become one of the absolute best. And they always did it from the T side, like even though they used to have this crazy lineup of mad players like Flamey and Guardian, play some of the best players in the world, they still were never that sick on CT side and they always won off their T side. And at this tournament, it was T side play on train that basically won them the tournament. You go back and look at the Fnatic series, the Astralis series, the Immortal series... All of these maps, it's winning on the T side. Whereas actually a lot of teams who have good records on train, it's because they have a really solid CT side and they can get those 9 or 10 rounds and make it easier for themselves. So for me, that first half really was like, it it almost secured the game for Gambit because the problem with Immortals is, they aren't in the same kind of leadership situation. Like as far as I know, I think they've switched in-game leader to Bolts now, which is one of the reasons I think Steel got freed up a bit to do better this tournament. And so... Immortals, I don't think of them as kind of a cerebral team, really. I never thought they shared as much with SK in that sense, and I think they are more who play off like, like fast-paced, play off skill, play off individual peaks, and so it's real tough to get nine or ten rounds on T-side train if you're a team that doesn't have a really good foundation. I think.
1: To add to that, um, it, during our last season of ECS, we had an, in, an interview with Steele when they played some uh, LAN matches at Esports Arena, and he uh, said that they they don't really have like a captain figure in the team. Like Zeus is clearly I mean he's the in-game leader, but he's also a captain. He's he's the natural leader of the team. He's the guy who who gets everyone together and you have fallen for SK, but immortals don't have that figure in the team. And I think um like going going back again to some rounds on maps which are which are not amenable to double up on the T side where they would look to do that and then just not get anywhere. I feel like a captain figure is like, no, we need to do this, you know, keep people focused on on the right thing. Whereas I don't I don't know if if there is a figure like that in the team at the moment, which which can be a problem at big events like a major,
0: do you think that had an impact as Immortals
1: loses game two and now you're loading up game three Inferno? I think they. I, I think it's caused. It may have caused them problems. I can only guess. Um, but like times where, again, I keep going back to double orbs, But I think that's something that they would learn from. I think they like they'll make mistakes and then learn from those mistakes and, and hopefully not not make them again. So, in the in the vacuum of of this match, um, it it depends on on what the you know what the what the psyche is. Like I don't know if you if you guys have seen the camera footage from after the final where K&G just smashed his, yes. his equipment to pieces. He just completely destroyed his stuff. So like you know. If you ha- if you have a captain figure, maybe it doesn't happen. Maybe maybe he needs to do that. As long as it's after the match, right? If you want to smash your stuff, then then go for it. Um, but it doesn't, uh, you know. Peter, maybe it's maybe it's a good expression for him. I don't know. We can only judge from a distance, right? So so it's difficult to say if if within one match the, the captain figure makes a difference. We only we only see those kind of scenes after the match. They seem to be in good spirits and, and have the fire in their belly you know, when they win rounds and they're like shouting at their opponents and so on. And I, I think that's good. I think it's it, it's good to be doing that. So I think we can only guess, really. Duncan, who is the who is the
0: fan favorite coming into this one? Clearly in the venue, it was Gambit. But across the, the CSGO scene, Game Three's loading up. Majors on the line. Everyone's already a little disappointed. It's not SK. It's not Astralis in the Grand Final. Who do you think the fans were behind, though? as we loaded up Inferno?
2: I think massively Gambit, especially because one of the things people won't necessarily appreciate about Gambit is players like Zeus, Adren, would already be popular. And obviously there was already like memes around those here, et cetera. But part of that was generated by Gambit, the organization, because what happened was Gambit was more famous for their League of Legends squad that they had a few years back that was the best in League of Legends and yep. they had similar figures in those teams there so for example they had a guy a bit like a Gen- uh, bit like Dosia who was called Genja and he was a guy who again never spoke English no one really knew his personality he was a very quiet person and so they did the same thing with him they played up all these stupid memes that you know He, as a result he's some weird, really weird guy and has some unusual life which is what they've done with Dosia so basically the marketing squad for Gambit has always been very good they've been very good with social media if there's a joke that the community has they pick it up and they play with it constantly so as a result i think they already had kind of a cult following beyond not not necessarily being like the best team in the world then you've got to add into the equation that they were the ones that beat astralis they've just beaten Fnatic, obviously some fan favorites there whereas the immortals team they've never been in a major everyone from brazil if they're just honest actually supports sk and just magically became an immortals fan when they made it to the the final and also yeah the fact that Immortals doesn't have, like, the big names in the same way. So, for example, even though Henny's had standout tournaments, he doesn't have anywhere close to the name value of, like, Zeus, even Dossier, etc. at the moment.
0: Not yet. Gambit, Gambit still has the fan edge. Let's talk about the in-game edge because it's Inferno. We see Gambit beat Fnatic, but then they get beaten here 16-8 by Astralis. So you're coming off a loss on Inferno in the semifinals. Now it's the grand final, and we're going the distance. This one decides it all. Who do you think had the edge statistically as the map starts? Me? Yeah, use.
2: I mean, the thing is, when they played against Astralis, they were terrible. But Astralis is also good on that map. So I, that's that's not that worrying, because coming into the tournament, Inferno was one of the absolute best maps for Gambit. It was good for Immortals as well, certainly. That's the one where I really start to notice they picked up some steam at DreamHack Summer. So for me, this was, a, on paper, it was a 50-50 map. But when you look at the styles of the two teams, so Immortals do play this very streaky style. Henny's known to be a player that's not very consistent, and he's your primary AWPer. Gambit's a team that has good T-sides. They run off a proper system. I'll always go at it with that as the pick as to what's going to win. That's why people might be surprised so often why sometimes I pick, for example, Astralis to beat SK or something like that. It's because I'll go with the consistency and the elements I feel like you can reproduce over like one-off big performances.
0: James, what were the biggest moments in the game? Clearly Reddit loved the X-God's Grenade
1: yeah that was uh i mean that's not so, it's something we've we've seen before mainly with molotovs off the balcony um get right did it in a an online game i mean it wasn't a major right so it was quite spectacular but it was a long time ago and it's a very rare thing especially on new inferno where you see a lot of bomb plants towards the other side of the site as well so that was pretty cool but i think um i mean hobbit had some insane rounds i mean he had a uh, the one over towards b where he had like a two three man I think it was a, a 3k a two man spray down towards the end was just bonkers and really uh, going into inferno i thought i thought it was a a coin flip who would win at that point um but they he had some massive clutches well that that one in particular was absolutely humongous and what a boost for your team as well so pull off something like that it was it was insane that he managed to do that and I, I, I feel like that run would have a lot to do with KNG smashing all his equipment. Because how do you, from their perspective, how on earth do you lose that situation? It's is Matt? You got a keyboard mad. to
0: lend KNG? Something you want to send his
1: way? Hell no! <laughs> <laughs> do you <know> how much <laughs> he's got me to build? There's no chance.
0: I have no idea how much does a keyboard cost you to build, James. For those out there who don't know, James, of course, not only is a commentator, a scuba diver, he is also a keyboard connoisseur
1: uh the the one I built for days costs about three hundred and forty dollars um okay. as a, as an example like you can you can buy them you c- you could buy one out from like Amazon for like a hundred and fifty two hundred dollars but um like almost everything's customized in the ones I make so uh it's a bit pricier.
0: Sounds like it. It's like a custom car. You're putting all the sweet stuff on it. Duncan, back to the game. Same question for you. Luckily,
2: though, it's not as bad if someone just steals you really expensive keyboard, though. (laughs) Shout out to Sadakist.
0: Hey, (laughs) yo. It's all right. It's back now. We're allowed to make jokes about it now. Yeah, it's fine. (laughs) Thank God for the Nova Scotia Police Department. Exactly.
1: All right, Duncan. I did did think of a Mario Kart joke, but I didn't want to get stabbed in the chest. I thought I'd leave it alone. Okay.
0: I don't know the the whole context there. Duncan, break down final game for us. How did we close out the major on Inferno?
2: What do you mean, how do we close it? Out? Oh, the, the last half of the game or something? Yeah. I mean, this was a perfect example of what I meant about why you go with Gambit. Because after Gambit manages to win the CT half heavily, they've the whole tournament they've been a T-side team. They've been either winning the T-sides or they don't even have to play a whole T-side because they win enough rounds to just win the game outright. So for me, this is like the history of Zeus led up to this moment because one of the things he was very famous for was before they had players like Flamey in Na'Vi, they used to have a team that actually didn't have that much skill. They were mainly carried by Guardian. And at the time, the second best player was actually Edward in CSGO. So they had a much more of a supportive core. He's obviously one of the support players now. They had like Starix was still playing, Zeus was still <coughs> playing, and they very much were working with a lot less talent in the team. And so one of the things they were famous for was being able to grind out rounds. And what we mean by that for people who don't understand the terminology, is when you grind out rounds, it's not like you just win like four in a row like you grind it out that way. It's more like if you know you have to win four rounds but you have 10, then you do strategies which like, yeah, they're not going to work every time but you know the odds are I'll get enough out of it. That's like the logic that you're trying to use and so that's one of the things that they were very, very famous for and so they famously, they would hit the same execute three or four times in a row at similar timings and know that if we just get it all right, the timing, we will win one of these rounds and get what we need. So coming in, knowing you only need five T rounds on New Inferno, I feel like this was perfect set up just for zeus to do what he always does that he was able to do in this situation and yeah this is just a classic example of what you expect from those grind out t-sides
0: is this the first major championship for zeus yeah and i assume everyone it's first else for any any on this every, squad no cis player has ever won a major in CSGO. how big is that for the cis region
2: Especially big in as much as three Kazakhstani players won. And obviously, in theory, they were always on the bottom of the pecking order in CIS
1: because
2: because they are in the worst situation resource-wise because their country didn't have... same amount of like sponsorship and opportunity to travel places they also have pretty bad ping in general like you'll notice a lot of the russian players who have okay ping live at the very very west of russia they don't live like right at the east you know so people don't realize what a different world it is to be from kazakhstan in that sense so the fact Mm. that a cis team won and the majority of them was from kazakhstan to me is almost inexplicable you know you would never expect that to happen you would think it would be like a ukraine and russia mixed win like like navi
0: and james what was the feeling like in the venue once it was all said and done that final round 16 gets locked in for
1: gambit it was amazing the the crowd were really behind them i was feeling it as well i was a fanboy when that happened it was it was just totally awesome you know it's such as it, because the thing is it had so much storyline behind it for for its use as uh duncan mentioned earlier for Adren, for Dozier, the, the storied people, you know, partly because of what Gambit did, but partly just the history in the game. Uh, and obviously Zeus being the, the uh, in-game leader in exile from Na'Vi as they watch on the sidelines is, is pretty bonkers. And you go to the rest of the team, like Mo and Hobbit, the other Kazakhstanis, like, if I'm not mistaken, Adren had to go to an internet cafe. I mean, he used to play in European leagues at probably 4 a.m. local time of 100 teams. And, and wow. body people online, so it's just it's just insane. The the road to this point for for all these players for different reasons. So it was just such a such a great story. And then he, he gets to the mic and shouts, "I love you, all of Meister," which is just <laughs> it's just ridiculous.
0: And, but, and it's like life changing money as well. I'm I'm sure. You know, we we kind of talked about Virtus Pro and how their paychecks now are such a difference maker mm-hmm. where they live. I'm sure the same can be said for everyone on this Gambit squad. They've won big tournaments before, but never a million-dollar prize pool tournament. So big congrats to everyone on Gambit. Immortals, though, let's talk about the next steps. Duncan, you said this is a hot, this is a cold team. How low do they drop? How high do they jump up in the next three months? Where are they at currently as well as we provide some context to the global rankings for these two teams?
2: I I don't have Immortals as a top-10-ranked team. Mm -hmm. Like, I didn't think that they were... Like, I think they were like borderline, like earlier in the year when they had their nice run at Katowice, and then they managed to, I think that was about it. Oh, they had the final, obviously, of, of Austin where they lost to Gambia. Okay, at that point in time, they were a top 10 team, but even then they were very much a bottom half. You know, they were like a seventh, eighth team, and that's just by virtue of the placings. So they already were a team that were going in and out of the top 10 rankings. Even with this win here, because of the fact that they basically didn't beat anyone who was a strong team, I think it's hard to kind of say even from this run that you have to put them very high in any rankings. Like it's not like automatically you can do that because they had easily for me the weakest run that we've ever seen of a team who made the final. They were just a mixture of the Swiss system and then uh, surprising opponents and the bracket draw, nothing they can do about it, but they just didn't really beat any top teams. So I don't personally don't think they're a very good team, even despite this finish.
0: Do you think locking in KNG officially will help them improve in the global rankings as it goes on or are you not expecting much from the current five-man mm-hmm. roster?
2: I think they're an all-right team. I just think if you look at it, the, like this is the worst era ever to be decent if you're a malls, because all the best players in Brazil play in SK Gaming. Like if they still had Phelps, maybe you could do something with that. And obviously they don't even have the veteran aspect that FNX could have brought. I think they're just not in a great place right now. It's obviously the best period they've had as a team, but there's not really any obvious way to improve because so many of the players in the team... and it act, the simplest way to put it is this way as long as you base the team around Henny, you will never be a world class team because it, as a player, he just consistently doesn't perform at the highest level when you put him against the likes of Coldzera and Eco, Device. These guys get it done every tournament,
0: you know. Right. Let's talk about the other side for Gambit. James, where do you have Gambit in your global rankings and how does this tournament now affect that standing?
1: When I saw the final, I did wonder if we were going to have a Leicester City um, situation with one of these players. If if you're not familiar, they won the English Premier League and then almost got relegated the next year. They just came out of nowhere, won the entire league somehow, almost never lost a match. And then just about, I think, I don't don't even know, I think they just about survived relegation and fired their manager the very next season. Uh, I don't expect that extreme, but um, obviously with lots of online matches, um, Gambit don't do very well. In those and and who knows what kind of consistency they will have I think they've got more to lose in that respect than, than Immortals do um, again I, I think with Immortals they're, they're missing that, that captain that they need but with Gambit they have their team I don't know if they were going to be part of the of the CIS uh, shakeup which is apparently happening who knows I think it's hard to do it when you win, win the friggin major um, but again I, I don't think it I mean, on paper, it might elevate their their uh, stock a lot, but really, I think you know, it's still one tournament, and yes, it's the major. They had to beat some big teams to to get there, but you know, it's about consistency, which is something that like North don't have, for example. And I think it's something that Gambit needs to needs to prove to us. So I wouldn't I wouldn't like push them up the up the ladder too far because it, again, it's just one tournament and. Consistency of some, is something we need to see. Like, can they consistently beat the teams who are in, say, the top six? I, I couldn't answer that question right now. Yes, they, they did that at this tournament, but it's, it's just one tournament. So if, I think we need to look at, uh, you know, in FedOSM, one thing they haven't had necessarily in the last few months is, is invite to some of the bigger lands. I think part, that's partly because it's a popularity contest which which was curious going into, into this finals like the bigger brands like your fanatics and you know the, the ones with a, a bigger traditional fan base are going to get invites before they are so now they they've won the major hopefully they'll get some more invites they'll get more opportunity to prove themselves versus top flight competition but until they do that i wouldn't suddenly put them like in a top 5 or something top 5 it's pretty high um, well, I mean, maybe they'll get there, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily put them in the top five now. Okay, I think, sorry. I think, yeah, if you, if you, uh, if you have a point system and maybe the Major puts in there, but it's, I think for me, I would like to see uh, consistent high performances over an extended period of time, like four six weeks at least. You know, Which- we're going into a holiday period now, so after that, obviously.
0: I was going to say, let's talk about next steps here in the world of Counter-Strike, competitive Counter-Strike. What happens after this major? You already touched on the roster shuffles. Of course, rosters are locked throughout the whole major process. As soon as the major's over, that's where we start to see teams moving. Who's going to go first? Is it the CIS roster shuffle the only thing happening? What other moves are being made? We, we already saw North making some moves with Magis being benched.
2: Well, I mean other obvious ones are like people still speculate maybe Virtus Pro someone might retire from there and then who knows which direction they go with the player decks it's always been a tough one uh, I think for the CIS region <clears throat> my sources tell me that Apparently, it didn't even matter where Gambit placed in this tournament. They were never going to be in the shuffle anyway. So presumably, that means we're talking Na'Vi and Flipside. And those are really the teams potentially, who knows, maybe Angel from Hellraisers. Seems like that's an obvious one where something's got to change because Na'Vi's had that lineup for over a year now. I think it's just over a year. And yet, they really haven't gotten enough good placings out of it. They've only had, like I think, three top fours or something not really what you'd expect because they were thinking they could become the number one team with that move. So I feel like if you take the right mixture of players there, you can improve Na'Vi certainly.
0: Is there any chance that we see Na'Vi go back and try and buy Zeus's love?
1: Or is that bridge burned way too long ago? I don't think it's a burned bridge because I'm sure Zeus could make more money for Na'Vi, playing playing for Na'Vi right. Um, you know, major aside, I, I think like I can only assume he would make a lot more cash than than maybe he was making before the major. Who knows? Maybe they get a raise or something now. But um, I don't, I don't. I think in that situation, you can never. I, I wouldn't be too proud to to go back and, and get paid loads of money and demand a, a signing on bonus. But now you've won the major, that that changes things entirely. Right, uh, Duncan, is that? Within the realm of possibility, or do you see that move
0: never happening?
2: I think Na'Vi might try for it. The big issue is this. It depends how realistic a person Zeus is, because supposedly they did say they were losing all their practice games. I mean, online games, they're terrible. So in theory, he should have known coming into this tournament that this was like a one-off, how well it all came together, because it hadn't even done that in some of the past tournaments. So if he's a very realistic person, then I think he should think logically Right. Obviously, my future would be better if I was in Navi. Navi have got all these great pieces to work with. Why not go and and rejoin that team and try and do something special there? In fact, if I was him, I'd even use the logic of I've already won you a major in Gambit. Like, what more do you want from me here? You know, I've done the best we could possibly do. Problem is, though not juice is one of those players that the west doesn't really know very much he doesn't speak english very much and he's also one of those players i notice where whenever we do have interviews and they're translated they all start mentioning stuff about like god and if like if it's willed and destiny and so as soon as people start talking like that i'm like i'm out because if you believe it like that god was directing your path well maybe the big man upstairs plans for you to win three majors in gambit so just stick around mate like
0: fuck (laughs) Uh, what is what move would you like to see? How do you make a super team of all the players in the CIS? Who do you want to see playing alongside each other in the future?
2: See, the thing is, I whenever I make moves, right. You obviously can't make a ridiculous move. It's like idiots who are fans of like Manchester United, right? Well, why doesn't the best player from Chelsea and then the best player from this team... Well, why would they do that moves? the point, right? It's got to be vaguely realistic, so it could happen. So the good thing, I think, about a potential CIS shuffle, if it included Gambit, is I think you could make all the teams better. So, for example, one of the moves I'd love to do tomorrow, if I could, is to me, the players that have underperformed the, bo- the most relative to their role in Na'Vi is actually seized and Guardian. Right, Take Seized and Guardian, chuck them into Gambit. So put Mm. Guardian instead of Mo, who I think is a much better AWPA, and take Seized and put him instead of Dosia. Seized was a fantastic support player before he had to be the in-game leader. That alone makes Gambit a really dangerous team who already have a structure. I think that would be a fantastic lineup. Then for Na'Vi's side of the equation, first things first, I think you've got to try and get Electronic, if you can, from Flipside, because he looks like like a revelation at the moment. And then I have to say, if I was Na'Vi, I would just either... Send a blank check to Angel and say, come and join as in the in-game leader. Or I'd just bite the bullet and say, right, doesn't matter what like a reputation says, you've got to get Blade. Because what they need in that team is you've got to have an in-game leader because they've had all the talent in the world for a year now and they haven't gotten a whole lot out of it. And
0: and what did you say is the reputation issue for Blade? Did he have issues with Navi specifically in the past? Or is he just a, a tough in-game leader to play under? Now,
2: it's just that for whatever reason. The last couple of years were marked by most top teams allowing star players to determine how the team plays and essentially just break a tactic anytime they want in the middle of the round. And Blade is an in-game leader who runs a real tactic and he prepares a tactic and you're going to do what he says in the tactic. And so it's not that it's not that he had like any actual problems. It's just that people within the CIS scene just were like, oh, he doesn't know how to play modern Counter-Strike. He's just stuck in 2008, you know, doing tactics and stuff. Whereas by the way, for everyone who thought that, like you know, the Olaf Meisters of the world. Gambit just won the major with like barely any top players, mate. So tactics are pretty good. You know, I think they yeah. I think they, they have their own place in the scene. So for me, if I'm Navi, I would hope you have kind of humbled by the fact you had all these great players, but didn't do much. And now you realize it's got to be Zeus or Angel or Blake. It's got to be a real in-game leader who comes in and turns the ship around.
0: Awesome. There we have Duncan's suggestions on what he'd like to see. James, is there any CIS super team you'd like to see?
1: No, I like Gambit. I, I, I would like to see Blades, you know, get more for the work he puts in. But I, I I wonder about fragging power if he went to Na'Vi. Because I don't recall which match it was, but I felt like there was one team who was just literally targeting his position, like, as if it was a free kill every Got round. Um, so, but, I mean, who knows? Maybe it's less stressful with better players and he, he frags better. Who knows? Um but, uh, you know, I've been a, a fan of what he did since since he was on that team, which it was when he was first on my radar playing in the leagues that we commentate in and so on. So I'd like to see him have more success uh, than he does have at the moment, for sure. And
0: James, uh, what is next for you now? We know there's going to be some roster shuffles. When's your next commentary gig?
1: Um, I can't
0: mention it now. Okay, um, we got we got but, secret but, okay. events coming up. Okay. Be ready for them.
2: Possible roster I mean, move for James. Okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, but for the next uh, for the next month or so, I have my own production company, so I'm busy doing productions which are outside of Counter Strike.
0: Very cool, my friend. Very cool yeah. stuff, Duncan. What about you? What's the next big tournament?
2: Well, I've got Gfinity. I've got a week of that coming up soon. I believe it's August fifth during the player break, but. Something
0: there we go, and uh, final question for you guys both overall out of 10 stars because we're now doing a 10 star scale for some reason. How many stars does the Krakow PGL major get? and
2: wait a minute, what's the criteria though? Just overall as a major compared to other majors,
0: yeah, compared to all the majors so far.
2: Oh, you're gonna like this one. So, compared to all the majors, I'll give it two stars out of 10. Two out of ten. What, what are the big knocks? How do you lose eight, eight stars? The games were just complete shit. The Swiss system ruined everything. The bracket was absolute garbage. The final was lackluster. The best game of the tournament was in the quarterfinals. What else? There was a lot of tech problems on the early part of the tournament. So it had positives. The problem is, like, here's the thing. I guess two stars might be harsh in as much as some of the early majors were, like, very low resources. You know, they didn't have as yeah. much... So maybe I'll make it five stars. But the problem is, like, with all these resources and if it had had fantastic games and we'd add, like, a better bracket, et cetera, I think it could have been the 10 out of 10. That's the big problem is I, I felt a bit underwhelmed in that sense.
0: Were you impressed by the spectating throughout?
2: What do you mean spectating? The
0: the, the observing? Sorry.
2: The observing, the observing was fine. We had the best observers there overall. So I think they did a decent enough job. I, I have to say in general, actually, compa- considering PGL were the ones that got slammed three SL colognes observing in the round of eight. Uh, like they used the real observers this time that helped and secondly they are actually pretty good at doing the camera shots that are third person but then going to the first person in the game itself so i think that was pretty good as as an all, all.
0: yeah i saw some reddit threads on that james let's go over to you 10 star scale how many stars does it get it,
1: it is a tough one especially because i'm trying not to color my opinion based on on the finals which i did enjoy after the first map which was pretty bad um, and the storylines behind it on, on, this, on, the spectating, uh, sorry, observing. Um, I do, I do like that PGL didn't try to do too much because in Cologne, you know, what, what's cool is when you have, when you have, um, people who know what you're saying, like literally as in understand English. If, if there's an opportunity, if you're talking about a player, like you see something on the radar or your, your, your own observer PC, they'll go to that player so there's a connection with the audience. But like I might ask for something in Cologne, and it was just like, there's, there's nothing going on. It was it was pretty brutal. Um, out of 10, it's a, it's a difficult one. I, I, I would go to a seven, but, I mean, this is not really scientific. I think what they did with the stage was amazing. The fact that they had glass booths all the way around, really um, changed what they could do to the environment, having the, the booths face each other. yeah. I thought, I thought that it might be, you know, th- th- there's always a potential issue there with like flashbangs, right? Like if you, there was an infamous time, I don't forget what tournament it was, where nothing, there was a smoke on, on cash at A-Main and he was on a CT side and he threw a flashbang and saw, saw three people screens, their faces go white, so he said three people are in A-Main, right? So that was my first concern, but the, light, the lighting within the booth was good enough um to to minimize that if people did that i don 't know, but i think I think the trade off for the I think it helps with the uh with the atmosphere sorry my brain is really dead right now the atmosphere in the venue and the fact they could put them in the middle as opposed to at the back that really made a difference the whole thing so so I think being there' it's like a seven or eight out of ten um but that's just like the live bit. Of course, there were loads yeah. of technical issues with the with the studio segment. But you know, for someone for someone who's going to the major and just seeing those those uh, those three days, I think I think it's a seven or eight because it was its its highs were very very high, and its lows were annoying, but I didn't really pull down from the from the event overall. If you're there for just for those three days. We'll take a five, we'll take a seven, and
0: our overall grade on today's show is a seven. Big shout out to everyone at PGL. Pulling off a major is not easy. I know the amount of effort that goes in across the board. Congratulations to Gambit. They go the distance, and KNG is now officially a member of Immortals, the team that finished second. If you guys missed any of it, don't worry. All the games can be found online. And, of course, if you missed anything in today's episode, you can check out boomio.com slash TLDW every Monday. They're going to have a new article. Big shout-out to James Bardolph. James, thank you for joining the show. If you guys want to follow this scuba driver, powerboat captain, production genius, and creative director, I can't even talk anymore, make sure you follow him on Twitter at James Bardolph. You know Thorn. Three O's. That's that's thorn on Twitter. We'll talk to you guys later. Thanks for tuning in. And of course, remember, tomorrow we got a big showdown. It's gonna be shocks going up against Kenny S. Three maps to 50 kills each. It's the Boomio pre-fire maps, and you don't want to miss it. It's going down 1 p.m. Eastern tomorrow, July 26th.
1: Thanks for watching. We'll see you soon.